0: Hello there, and thank you for listening to this episode of Final Games. After a brief summer hiatus, the show is back every two weeks with brand new episodes and brand new video game guests to be banished to a deserted place where they can only take eight games with them to play for the rest of their days. Thank you to everyone who continually listened to the show and supported it throughout the hiatus, and a big thank you to everyone who has continued to support the show on Patreon. If you like the projects I do and the work I continually am doing every week, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Liam Edwards and you can help support my work and help me basically continue doing what I'm doing. There, you'll find out about Final Games, of course, the show you're listening to right now, and also the other podcasts I do every week with my two friends, Matt Visual and Super Bunny Hop. On top of that, you can also find out information about the video games I work on, including my most recent game, Salaryman's Zookstan. Thank you for listening to Final Games, and I hope you enjoy this brand new bumper episode that kicks off the new season of Final Games. of final games the podcast about the games that inspired us i'm your continuing host liam edwards and thank you so much for waiting patiently through a long summer break for this the 80th episode of the show and the return of a sort of new series of final games kicking the show back into gear with a fantastic new guest who is somehow willing to be a new dessertee they're a guest who is no stranger to lurking in the shadows waiting to either be ordered around to do something or for when they're called upon to show their brilliance. My guest for this episode started out his career on YouTube helping to write and edit videos for his friends. Having graduated with a degree in professional editing from NYU, it made sense that these friends of his employed his skills to help their increasing in popularity videos look even better and more professional. One of my guest's friends was the popular game YouTuber JonTron, who had exploded in popularity and actually lived with my guest. Due to JonTron's success, a Let's Play collaboration between him and the internet animator Aaron Egoraptor-Hansen, who had found fame on Newgrounds prior, started in 2012. That Let's Play channel became the incredibly popular and wonderful series that you all know today, Game Grumps. When starting out Game Grumps, Aaron and Jon needed someone to help produce and edit the videos that they were making. They turned to my wonderful guest for today, who also in 2012 joined the channel to work as their main editor. Originally working in Secret and in the Shadows, my guest was sort of a mystery on the show and very rarely showed his face or voice, until I think it was one certain Battletoads episode. From there, as the Game Grumps also exploded in popularity and expanded, my guest became one of the most famous Let's Players on the internet also. Guest appearing and hosting shows on the Game Grumps channel across his nearly 6 years there, he appeared in various shows of theirs including Steam Train, Steamrolled and Grumpcade, and he also hosted a board game focused series alongside Aaron's wife Susie called Table Flip. But what I believe my guest was most passionate about and was a, more, was a more focused and intricate look at video games and video game design, which led him to create the excellent show How About This Game, a detailed video essay series that was hosted on the Grump's second channel, Grump Out. In How About This Game, my guest goes into great analysis and discussion on various aspects of different video games. However, in December of last year, 2017, my guest broke the news that, with good faith, he was leaving Game Grumps to pursue his own creative work and go it alone, much to the sadness of millions of Grump watchers worldwide. Since then, he's been streaming and making more excellent How About This Game episodes. It's hard to condense everything and all that my guest for this episode has achieved. YouTube, voice acting, some video game work, editing, he did a, a first ever grump animation that spawned this entire YouTube phenomenon of animated things on Let's Plays. But it was for years that his soft tone and fantastic attitude were a joy to listen to on Game Grumps. And actually, his and Ross's Mound playthrough was one of my own personal Let's Play favorites. It's with pleasure and honor that my guest for the 80th episode is the wonderful Mr. Barry Kramer. Hello, Barry. Hello, Liam. How's it going, Barry?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you for the Quite flattering introduction.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you found it flattering.
1: I, I have I have two notes for that introduction, two to uh, corrections. Excellent, um, please
0: throw them my way. The internet is uh, a is a mysterious beast.
1: It really is. Um it's amazing when whenever you Google yourself and you're like, that's not
0: That's true. not true.
1: Yeah. Why uh, does everyone think that? I need to get Mr. Internet on the horn and explain the truth. Please. Dial him up. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, I, I did go to school, but not for editing. I'm okay. entirely self-taught when it comes oh, to wow. editing. Wow,
0: that's that's um, even more better. That's even better.
1: Yeah, I went to NYU, New York University, and I was at their Gallatin School of Individualized Study, where wow. I created my own major. That's that's the whole school's program is students make their own majors. Um, and so I studied a self-made major called Video Game Theory and Design. Uh, so I was studying games back in college. That's and awesome. And that was while NYU was starting their own Game Center program, which is run through Tisch, the School of the Arts, which now That's is what previous awesome...
0: guest Bennett Foddy um, yeah. is a teacher at. Yeah.
1: Yep. I was a student there before he was teaching there.
0: Oh, so damn it. <laughs> just barely missed him. I would love to, to have met him. Maybe,
1: maybe someday I will. Yes. Um, well,
0: you're going to a deserted island. Maybe his and yours will crash into each other.
1: <laughs> I could be so lucky. Uh, and then the other <laughs> thing I want to mention was you mentioned the the like animated Let's Play things. Yes. Uh, I was not I was not the first to, oh. to do that. Um, Aaron actually animated quite a few, uh, and there had been a few guest animators I think as well before I ever made one.
0: How so. very self-indulgent of Aaron! <laughs> I, don't,
1: I mean, and I can't even claim he was the first to ever do that idea, but he definitely popularized it. I think that's fair yes. to say. Yeah. But I, there, there's, I have no claim to that idea whatsoever. Oh, okay. Um, I that, did animate a couple, but I was, yeah, it was not ooh. not my idea.
0: Ah, well, you know, fair play to Aaron. Then we'll we'll allow him to take this credit. You could have sneakily (laughs) sailed after the. It was all me. Yeah, (laughs) it was all me. No one's gonna see me again. So see you later. (laughs) Okay, so crossing out those. No, I'm joking. thank
1: you so much, (laughs) Barry. Everything else is 100 percent accurate.
0: yay! I'm glad, and I'm glad you uh, you enjoyed it. The one thing I especially like to do is make guests feel welcome and comfortable. You were talking about before we started recording. You were saying about my previous guests, and you. you, you felt a little intimidated by the company a little bit, and I...
1: Yeah, I'm I, incredibly humbled that you asked me, so thank no, you. No,
0: it's an absolute pleasure. For many, many years, Barry, as you will, of course know, many people have watched, you know, you talk about video games for a long time, and I feel like, you know, Grumps is more focused on comedy, of course, and always has been, and that kind of thing, and it's, it's a delight to watch Dan and Aaron do what they do every day. Um but I will always admit as someone who is also a not a student of game design but you know someone who is incredibly passionate passionate yes. has a yes. deep passion I actually have my my Steve Swink game field book right next to me right now <laughs> um, Excellent uh, uh, but you know you go into always you, you would be funny and stuff like that but you know those little tidbits where you would start talking about Game Three. I think that's why the Earthbound one is my favorite because you could feel the passion for for Earthbound and you know how much you liked it emanating through that and you know your discussions on video game design and stuff, especially what Itoi was doing and your reasoning as to why he did it. And then you made How About This Game, which is such a great series. It's oh, I love that you. series. It's excellent. I'm so happy to see you go on to do some more. Uh, in the future, so Barry, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you very
1: much. Yeah, I, I, I always really enjoyed doing Let's Plays. Now I'm predominantly streaming. I'm not really doing pre-recorded Let's Plays anymore. Yeah. Um, but I was actually watching I, I, some of
0: yours last night. I was watching you suffer through uh, Super Ghosts and Ghouls.
1: Oh my God, that game. I forgot you have to beat it twice, so I beat it yeah. once on stream. It's was like, I'm done! And then it was like, time for a second challenge. And it starts again. I was like, no, I'm not. Yep. <laughs> I'm not doing this. Um,
0: and then to actually I've... get the true ending of that game. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but the true ending. You have to beat the game, but you have to get a specific bracelet that... What's her name? Pre pri the princess or whatever her name is?
1: I don't know. They you don't say it in the game. You have to get a
0: specific bracelet that she wants in it's the mean, final level. It's me, is what it is. It's me. And then... Beat the final boss. Bu- yeah, it's awful.
1: <laughs> I have been too softened by games the last ten years or so. So when I go back and play an older game, I'm like, I I can't do this. It's
0: like an impenetrable wall, isn't it? Like even when I was recently playing through Mega Man X for the Legacy Collection on the Switch, I was mm-hmm. like, this is way harder than I remember. <laughs> like, yeah. I have been. I am just like a meat bag of softness these days. Yeah, I mean, I got
1: a, a Super Nintendo Classic, and basically, like, my first console growing up was an N64. Um, yes! I had a original gray brick Game Boy before that, but the first home console we had in our home was the N64. Um, and I'd in- only ever played NES and Super Nintendo at friends' houses. Yeah, yeah, so- mine was
0: very similar. Like, I'd played the Super Nintendo at friends' houses. I had a Genesis Mega Drive um, that mm-hmm. my... My grandmother had inherited from someone she played golf with, but I never like apart from playing Sonic and my first ever game, which was RoboCop versus Terminator. Um, Ooh, yeah, that nice. was my first ever video game uh, uh, dabbling in that. It wasn't until I got the Nintendo 64 that there was this explosion in my head of, oh, my God, what is this? What is this mm-hmm. majesty? Uh,
1: yeah, so so I got a, a SNES classic, which were they were impossible to find when they came out, but through a friend of a friend, I was able to get one. um And I basically was streaming, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna like work my way through the SNES classic and play all of these games that either I played a long time ago and haven't played in a long time, like Link yeah. to the Past or Mario World, but also there are tons of games on there that I'd never really played, like Super Ghosts and Goblins or Ghouls and Ghosts. I forget. I always get those confused. I always forget. Yeah." Um, well, there's one first, and then the other, and then there's Super... Whatever. Um, and also Super Mario RPG. I'd never played that one. Uh, Mega Man X as well. I'd only, only ever played bits and pieces. So, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun to kind of revisit games I had played and also play all these new classics, for me at least. And, yeah, it's it's like, man, game design has really evolved since the early 90s. <laughs> it's it's startling. And you know it, but then when you actually sit down and play these games, it's it's... That's something that I love about games, if I can you know, get super up my own ass and get pretentious right off the bat. Yes, I I love that games are living art and that you can just sit down and play this game and you have the same experience as someone who played it when it came out. Yes. Um,
0: That's what I love about the Super Nintendo Classic even more is it's this concentrated, hand-picked, like, gallery for people to experience almost. It's like going through an art gallery. Because, like, even the menu looks to me like an art gallery like you're moving from piece to piece and you're like yeah and ducking it's into one...
1: to the 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 Super Nintendo's sort of iconography like the yeah same with the exactly. NES classic. and they all yeah. have
0: like various aspects of what they did well for that console itself and you know you'll dip into one and play it for 10 minutes you'll you know you'll reset it and then you'll move on to the next one and that kind of thing it's like it is truly like going through a hand-picked gallery of video games that's what I really like about the Super Nintendo classic
1: yeah Definitely, big fan. I just want them to release like a SNES Classic two, with more games. That's all.
0: What do you think the, the next more? one will be? Everyone's thinking it, obviously it's gonna be the Nintendo sixty four one, but oh, I'm kind of if wishing, they put
1: out. A... Sorry, go for it.
0: I'm kind of wishing it is like a Game Boy Color, one. Ooh, I didn't like think about don't that. don't go for the original Game Boy unless you're gonna you know. Well, upscale. just tossing
1: some Game Boy games in there, too. Yeah, into
0: the color. Yeah, exactly, right? The,
1: the 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 original Game Boy is arguably harder to go back to than the NES. Yes, uh, Those Agreed. games are simpler, it's you know, more reduced resolution, and it's grayscale. So it's even, gr- that, that was my childhood, was like playing Tetris in the back of the car and trying to hold the screen at the right angle to actually be able to see what was happening. Um, but now if I go back and play those, I'm like, oh, my God, this is rough. But I am glad that I grew up with a Game Boy, because now I can tell future generations, like, when I was your age, I played games in black and white. So, or gr- green and dark green.
0: A gre- yeah, gray and green gray. Yeah. I we it, couldn't I see. Would love,
1: I would love a Nintendo 64 classic, but I, I don't know. I think, first of all, they'd be impossible. Like, the SNES classic was impossible to find. The N64 would, like, exclusively be, be on the black market. Like, trucks would not arrive at their destinations. It would be chaos. Uh, but if they did release an N64 Classic, we would get new Nintendo 64 controllers. And that has to be very excited because no one living today has an N64 controller with a good analog stick. They've yeah, all worn they're down all, like, be
0: completely loose and broken.
1: So that that would be Do you reckon they would make would them smaller,
0: it. though? Like they did with the stupid NES Classic. Those controllers are dumb.
1: Well, no, the NES Classic and SNES Classic have have standard-sized controllers.
0: I thought the NES one had smaller ones. Like it, like they were like really tiny. It, well, it had a really short cable. That was it, yeah. That was but it. I
1: don't know. I think it was might have been shorter than the original NES. I don't remember. But people were upset because they're like, yeah, plug it into your HDTV and now sit three feet from it, which is kind of rough. Um, but they, no, they are, they are like identical dimensions to the original controllers. So if they made a smaller NC four, I mean, that controller is already kind of awkward to hold. I don't know.
0: Yeah. it would be great to have like, oh no, what it was, was the, um, the, J- the Japanese NES classic, which was of, of course the Famicom classic had really mm-hmm. tiny controllers. Oh, it had like, oh, because really they
1: fit tiny. on the side of the console itself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was just it. Shrink them. Yeah. Oh my God! What they a were terrible tiny. idea! It, oh, it was no. such
0: an awful idea. It was it was so <laughs> awful. They <It> were <was laughs> tiny. They were literally like the size of a business card. It was so weird.
1: Oh, there's definitely a Zoolander reference to be made there.
2: <laughs> but it
0: would be it would be interesting to have this Nintendo 64 classic with a controller bigger than the actual console itself. I mean, oh, the yeah. Super Nintendo one's pretty much almost there, so.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> no, maybe they could cut down on costs by just removing the D-pad portion of the N64 controller. It's just be pretty... like, no games use this. They're just, we're going to do away with it.
0: Yeah, and I don't think, like, I've always thought about this kind of thing. I'm like, maybe you could just put the console inside the controller, like a handheld. Mm. Well, then, then it's ha- more like
1: those those plug-and-play systems. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Something like that, but, like, have it, I don't know, have a dongle, like a USB dongle that you put into the back of your TV that works as the HDMI signal maybe, you know, like Google Home or something.
1: I think that would definitely be more practical, but it, I think a big part of the allure of is these having, classic consoles is having it's, – it's, it's like it's a collector's item. Not only is it yeah. functional – but when it's you're true. done, you just put it on your shelf, and it's a tiny version of the console. <laughs> it's like, like they a have tiny, little flaps that cover up. They have flaps that cover up the controller port, so it just looks like the original. <laughs> so it's, it's, I think that's a big part of it. And if they're like, it's just
0: the controller, people be like, eh. I do like it. People are like, oh, you've got a Super Nintendo. No, I've got a tiny Super Nintendo. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a shame they're so
1: rare, because when you hold one in your hand, it actually is surreal. It, it is a bizarre great. experience to have this tiny thing that you're like, Why is it so small? Why are my hands so big?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I also like that like I don't because yours is purple, isn't it? Like I have the European one, so I have the yeah. I have the non purple one. I have the nice I have the I nice I love one. the look.
2: I love I the look love, of the, yeah, the European it's, one.
0: It's the for anyone who doesn't know, the European one is the is the same design as the Super Famicom in Japan. So they're the sort of grey circular Nice, rounded-off-edged one, compared mm-hmm. to the Amer- North American uh, purple machine.
1: <laughs> I'm very nostalgic for that purple box, but I can yeah. imagine there's
0: nostalgia there, but if you look at just it's design...
1: The, 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 the Japanese European buttons. one is objectively better. I can't objectively imagine... Be. It's the soft corners and the bright I, colors, yeah. it's so nice. I
0: can't imagine not having the multi-colors.
1: Yeah, like, no, I, even as a kid, like... Yeah, we would go to a friend's house, and it's like, all right, the game is like, okay, press the X button. You're like, okay, which purple blob is that? Oh, it's the it's the concave one. Got it. I specifically it's the, bought one of these two. Yeah, it's 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 fine.
0: <laughs> I specifically bought the uh, the new Nintendo 3DS, the small one that had the. Super Famicom colored buttons, because I was like, "Well, I have to have that. I have to have the the Super Famicom buttons on the 3DS." <laughs>
1: I'm just waiting for Nintendo to put out uh, Joy-Con for the oh, Switch that have that seen, kind of color yeah, scheme.
0: I've seen people mod theirs to have it. And yeah, I'm like, people have <gasps> painted them and stuff, and they look yeah. so good. Some people have just put the actual just the 3DS, the new Nintendo 3DS. The, the one that had the Super Famicom buttons, because they're exactly the same size as the Switch Joy-Con buttons. So I was going to say, are they inter- the same size?
1: But yeah. that makes so much sense that yes. they would be.
0: Yeah, same manufactured buttons, just different yeah. colors. Yeah. Well, how, so, how about that? But from everyone who I've heard who has modded their own Joy-Cons has said it is an absolute nightmare. It's horrible. It's a horrible experience.
1: To to open up one of those. Just to open up
0: one and put it all back together and and, and hope it works, (laughs) I think.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm I'm not a hardware modder kind of guy. I think one time I opened up a PS3 controller to clean it out. And for one, never do that. It's disgusting. (laughs) Yes. I don't know where all that gunk (laughs) comes from, but it's not from a human. Um (laughs) And then the, just the act of like, oh, now I have to sandwich these pieces of plastic back together and keep all of the electronics and rumbling stuff exactly where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like and a and that was a weirdly
0: composed sandwich.
1: Yeah. And that was probably a pretty easy job compared to something like a Joy-Con, which is going to be super dense, crammed full of electronics. Yeah,
0: crammed full of, because it's got like the HD rumble and everything inside of it. All the little mm-hmm. micro, oh, do they call it. Oh, I forget what they call it. for the Like
1: Rumble. the R? Like the IR? Oh, oh, the, the, yeah. What?
0: Do, what, I what? God, I, I was typing code for this yesterday. I forget what we even call it. The, the, I know that the Apple the has their, sensors. like, Taptic,
1: their taptic yeah. system or whatever. It's, like, the same idea.
0: Yeah, it's weird because we call them the Rumble features, obviously, because of the Nintendo 64 and the Rumble pack back in the day. But it isn't. Mm-hmm. Rumble. They call it something else in code. I've I've completely forgotten. I was typing this yesterday.
1: Someone told <laughs> me, or maybe it's. I I hope it's public knowledge that like, to code Rumble for the Switch, it's basically like a waveform that you're plugging in.
0: Yeah, I think I think it has the ability to do like, like, it like translates
1: that data into motion.
0: Yes, I think it's like, a, like basically that. a binary zero one, and it can flick on and off in various waveform patterns to give... That's where the sort of HD rumble comes from. Like, the idea that you can time the rumble in patterns to whatever's happening on the screen. So if you have something that's, like, timed... I don't know, for example, like a taiko drum, I guess, if you're going to hit it every time, it'd be like... So there's, like, on and off signals for it, but a bit more... Because basic rumble for, like, the Xbox... One controller, the Xbox 360 controller is just like,
1: and then it's kind of on or off with like a couple degrees. Yeah, but it, but it
0: has like a certain timer. Like it has to go through like at least like one or two seconds before you can switch it off. You can't just be like, like back and forth. It has to be like run through its own cycle and then come back.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope I didn't. I hope, it
0: I hope it didn't
1: violate a friend's NDA by just being like, oh yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how it works. It's like, oh, that's not...
0: I'm pretty public. sure this friend who works at this studio who works specifically on this... Yeah, let me just name
1: who I was talking to. No, I, I'm pretty sure I read that a I just... Oh. If not, just cut out everything I just said. It's cool.
0: So Barry, tell me, when you're not dreaming of smaller mini chibi consoles... Um, mm-hmm. What have you? Been, I mean, everyone knows what you were doing prior. I mean, you have an extensive internet history of work that you've done over the many years. You were at Game Grumps and working with Aaron and Dan and Ross and Susie and all those wonderful people over there. Uh, yes, you said you've been streaming a little bit, of course. What else have you been up to since, uh, you know, flying, flying like a beautiful butterfly into freedom?
1: Yeah, so definitely my main focus right now has been sort of spinning two plates of twitch and youtube uh twitch i've been streaming i stream multiple times a week and for youtube i have so i released a new how about this game back in may all Um, about super
0: mario galaxy
1: mario galaxy and i took a very unpopular stance on it (laughs) that i think it's not that great and don't um, worry
0: don't worry i will get to you on this list about that (laughs) We will okay, get there.
1: We'll get, we will get there. I can talk about Mario forever, so it's it's fine. Um I was actually really nervous putting that out because I was like I I went out of my way to say multiple times this is my opinion. I'm not attacking your childhood <laughs> if you grew up with this game.
0: It's really it's just, hard because I find it difficult, even when you have a difference of opinion, I find it difficult for anyone to be angry at you. You're just so wonderfully oh. soft spoken about it. You're like
1: Oh, you sweet summer child. I know, I know. People get so mad over everything on the internet. (laughs) I I, I definitely got a lot of hate for the Galaxy video, but I was surprised by how much positivity I saw, which, again, like I I love games, and I love the gaming community, and I I want to contribute more positivity, and I feel like a lot of the videos I've put out have been like, this sucks because of XYZ, and I kind of... Part of that is because it's like, well, I'm, I'm looking at this issue through a lens, and with Galaxy, it's like, well, to me, the mass popular opinion is one way, and I feel very differently, and why is that? It just happens to be that I feel negatively when most people feel positively, so yeah. Yeah. in the future, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to force it. If I have an idea, I'm going to follow that idea, but I, I want to try to find more positive things to say about games. I think um, the thing
0: is, it's not about being positive or negative with this kind of thing. It's basically taking a analytical look at something and be like, well, this is the ideas I had mulling in my head. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be positive. But this is just the swelling storm of thought in my head. And it came out that, you know, I have some issues with Mario galaxy.
1: Yeah. And, and I think the, the key is also to be constructive. I mean, it's yes. something that we're all taught in high like, school. You can't just be like, high, this high sucks. Yeah, Thanks I for mean, watching <laughs> a lot of YouTube video essays fall into that sort of trap of like, yeah. you're only making half of a video. You're saying, "I feel this way," and see you next time, folks. And yeah. that's fine, but I feel like it's something that I I I, I always list my my influence for this as uh, Good Blood Studios. Javed he did a video called "Dear Sega," um, talking about his proposed idea for a Sonic redesign, and. It was a really, really well-made video. He anim- He's a professional animator, and he animates his idea of Sonic. Um, and it just struck me as just like, you know what? I disagree with a lot of what he's saying of how he thinks Sonic should be. But the fact that he's saying, here's what I'm bringing to the table, it makes you want to engage with him instead of just like, yeah, yeah you're wrong. And S- Sonic's like this. It's like, but no, when he's- you can
0: see when you can see a more fleshed out uh, argument as well. It's like, okay, okay. It helps to maybe understand more of the point where people come from. Whereas, as you said, I think a lot of, I don't, I hesitate to call them video essayists, but people who are basically just like, fucking Sega, man, they suck. Konami, oh my God. Like, what the fuck happened to all this? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this game sucks. I hate Super Smash Brothers Brawl because of tripping and all that kind of very trodden trope.
1: And it's like when, when you're dealing with something like that, where it's like, yes, everyone kind of feels negatively towards Konami right now. People don't list Brawl as their favorite. It's kind of a, a popular mindset. So if that's also how you feel, what else do you have to bring to the table is sort of how I feel. And if you want to make a video about why you think Konami sucks, like what else you got? Yeah. Um, Because I, I I know how I feel about Konami. So I want to hear your take on it. And so that's kind of. <laughs> How I think about the videos that I make. And not everything that I'm planning on making on YouTube is this sort of deep dive, hopefully well thought out criticism or critique. Um, I have some really stupid videos that I'm planning to. They're just like, eh, I thought this was funny. I'm going to kind of just pop this out. I will admit, I, I, I,
0: love, I love your how about this game stuff. Of course, that's like my favorite stuff on YouTube. You know, we both um, watch Game Maker's Toolkit and Mark mm-hmm. stuff. Mark's a lovely guy. Um, and yeah, just that kind of, of stuff. Yeah, that kind of stuff is great, but I will admit like some of the smaller stuff you do, like my, one of my favorite videos of yours is your, your new channel QA and the joke about you being naked and you taking the gloves off. <laughs> Honest to God, the comedic <laughs> genius for, for uh,
1: anyone that doesn't know, you should probably
0: clarify. Yeah, just go watch <laughs> Barry's QA on his channel. It's, Honestly, sure. just, the just, joke
1: is that I'm not naked, but people think my avatar is because he's is all naked, one color. Yeah, he's basically so. just wearing
0: a beige suit. <laughs> yeah, a and... skin, a
1: skin-colored skin tight suit. Don't worry about it. It's fine.
2: <laughs> that but, that kind yeah, of stuff like, is I, like
0: trademark Barry humor, and I love it. It's fantastic. Well,
1: thank you. Yeah, I I I always try to you know inject humor whenever it's appropriate without undercutting what I'm trying to say because <laughs> um, that's that's also like a big inspiration behind How About This Game and I talk about it like it's, it's this big story series there's three episodes it's not even real it's technically a series but I need to I need to pop out a few more before I can kind of point it and be like that's what this is but they but, are a
0: good they are a good heavy chunk of 20 20 what is it 20 to 30 minutes of
2: yeah, heavy first... animation
0: lots of research lots of well articulated points it's the kind of video where you know, even for someone who maybe doesn't know how to make YouTube videos or something like that, but you know it took a while to get these things out. There's yeah, a lot of attention to detail in them.
1: Literally months for the most recent one, uh, which is also why I'm streaming a lot on Twitch, because that's a whole other conversation. But putting out content like that is not profitable the way it used to be. And that's yes. not the, that's not the intent. I mean, if I wanted to maximize profit, there's a million things I could do that I choose not to. And that's not really why we're here, but, you know, basically like I like consuming that kind of content and it's the kind of content I want to produce. So, you know, I want to keep making them, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of work to make them up to my insane personal standards. Cause I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and sometimes you just have to give up and say, it's good enough. It's actually been one of the big hurdles, of had, one of the big hurdles of have had to get over with streaming. Is like things go wrong, technology <laughs> breaks, and having to troubleshoot it in real time sucks if you're a perfectionist. It's with like, a thousand just, people
0: watching and you're like, just uh, look away. Just uh. look away and come back later. I'll
1: fix it, I promise. Um, I don't remember what my original point was, but. Um, oh, just uh, one of my big influences with, with How About This Game, I think a lot of people have pointed this out, and rightfully so, is that it's got a lot of similarities to Aaron's series Sequelitis. Yeah. And... I
0: think that comes quite naturally. I guess you both have worked together for a long time. But yeah, I think.
1: Well, there's that, but it was also a bit of a, a conscious decision. I mean, I'm trying to do what I can to establish my own voice independent from his, of course. But a big part of it is there's a lot of content on YouTube in regards to games. And I, I sort of view it as a spectrum in my head, where on one side, you have very analytical, meaty goodness talking about games. But it can be, at the very extreme end, very dry and not very approachable. And there's a lot of creators in that space that I adore and I eat everything that they produce. It's the best. Yes. On the other side of the spectrum is people making really silly stuff that's very fun and very approachable but doesn't really say anything of substance. Almost kind of like what you were saying with like, oh, Konami sucks. It's like, okay, like that's oh, that's a starting point. What's your end Rolo,
0: point? Remember Metal Gear Pachinko? Ha 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 ha. Like,
1: yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, there's definitely an audience for that. I, I'm not besmirching anyone who exists in that space, but basically there's, I see it as as almost like a void in the middle. There's a sweet spot where you have approachable but meaty discussion bait kind of stuff. And I think yeah. Sequelette is perfectly fit in there before. And that's sort of a void that I tried to fill with, with How About This Game, where... Hopefully, it gives you something to think about. Maybe I challenge how you previously felt about something, but also there's some some goofs and gaffs along and the way. And it's
0: fun to watch overall. Like, yeah, it's and not it feels a dry thirty minute and... video essay where you're watching someone's university dissertation on video games, right?
1: Over yeah. just like a, a looping 10-second clip of Dark Souls. Yeah. While you while you have this like <laughs> yeah master thesis about it. It's Always like, Dark Souls. The content's well. great, but it, I mean you can talk about Dark Souls forever. Um, That's
0: true. I think I think there but are anyway, more minutes yeah. of videos about Dark Souls on YouTube now than there must be, almost of Minecraft. It's, <laughs> it's getting there, but yeah, I feel absolutely. like you very you hit something there that I hadn't really thought about. Like, obviously, I feel like sequelitis and how about this game are two sides of the same coin. But Aaron is like the angrier side, and you're the more <laughs> you're the more you're the more smiley side, even if you have something bad to say. I mean, that also comes
1: from the fact that I I worked on one Sequelitis episode. I worked on the Zelda Sequelitis, where he compared Link to the Past Ocarina of Time. Yeah. And he took a very strong tone in that video that a lot of people felt they reacted very negatively to that. And I understand kind of both sides. I mean, having kind of existed on both sides. um, Like, there are things in that video that I personally disagree with, but felt he did a good job explaining. Yeah. But people disliked. The fact that he was just like it's like this, and they're like, well, it's more like this and this. Um, it's something that I always get kind of frustrated with. Is like, well, it's an opinion piece. You don't have to tell people it's an opinion piece in an opinion piece. It's it's something that it is you weird learn. where
0: we've got to this point where you have to be like, whoa, whoa, shut about it. Like, I like am. In my opinion, yeah, but, like
1: that, I like made a point of I think two or three times in my Mario Galaxy video saying like, this is how I feel. This yeah, is not objective truth. and people really really like that and it's like i'm fine i want you to care about what i'm saying but if this is the package i have to deliver it in i'm happy to do that i don't think of it as patronizing i'm just saying like i want to remind you that if you're getting upset this is just one man's feelings this is not (laughs) i'm not speaking on behalf of anyone other than myself i'm
0: speaking on behalf of the whole internet
1: (laughs) right i'm channeling everyone's opinion I spoke to Miyamoto, and he said Galaxy sucks. <laughs> so, that's canon now. Yeah. I, I, but, yeah, that's something that I, I at least I learned writing five-paragraph persuasive essays in school that it's, it's redundant to start every sentence with I think. That's something that teachers kind of drill out of you. Like, yeah. it, it's implied by the in fact my that it's opinion. persuasive. Exactly. You don't need that. You need that maybe once at the yeah. beginning, and then it's good. You just state how you feel big black um, uh,
0: black and white text in my opinion now please enjoy the rest of the video without me having to repeat this exactly. or for you to get angry at me because you disagree
1: right so i think that that might be why my my stuff comes across as friendlier because it is a deliberate attempt to to it's like i want to reach out my hand to be like let's talk about this this isn't me yelling at you even if i disagree because i love games and i love talking about them which is
0: why even are bad here? games, even bad games are fun. Especially bad games. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, 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 Everything. it's, it's weird because I come from a very similar sort of thought process about this. Like this whole show, Final Games, was started to be a positive outlet because it came at a time when we had some quite nasty things going on in the video games industry with, you know, a certain group of people who are causing incredible discourse and negativity about stuff. So oh, the idea that's was never
1: happened before within yeah, the video game scene. What course, are you talking this, about?
0: This friendly, wonderful place where everyone feels included. No one
1: gets mad about anything <laughs> ever.
0: <laughs> so the idea of this show is to, you know, talk about games that it put, it forces you into a situation where you have to talk about games that you like. But that doesn't mm-hmm. ne- necessarily mean you have to talk about them but entirely positively. Like it is right. entirely your opinion. Like the games that you are chosen are not forced upon you. They are mm-hmm. for you to decide and for you to tell us why. And- yeah, and, and also I,
1: I love the the framing of the conversation because this is not a list of my favorite games of all time. No. No. It's a different question. Yes. Because but I like
0: it a lot. There are games I love that I will never play again. Probably some of my favorite <laughs> games. I just will never play again because I've played them and I love them, but I right. I don't need to play them again. And that won't, wouldn't factor into being trapped on a deserted island, which, Barry, is the place that we're going to be sending you now. Oh, um, boy. You, you'd asked prior about how you were getting to said island. You were like, am I trapped in a crate with air holes and floating into the sea?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's is your pref- it, is, it, is there like a like a like a Fortnite battle bus situation?
0: <laughs> and I, you
1: just I've get never a played shoot. Fortnite. I just want to make that clear.
0: <laughs> Before you dig yourself. I'm trying into to a be hole. hip with the kids. I'm trying to be hip. <laughs> I tried to be hip with the kids, and I, I got the Switch version, and I was uh oh. I I enjoyed I enjoyed a few rounds. I definitely enjoyed it a little more than I did with my one two experiences with PUBG, which were a catastrophic nightmare of bugs and not fun um but we can we can say we can have a barry battle bus
2: oh god instead of a
0: instead of a hundred other people it's just you dancing on this bus (laughs) by yourself and then you have to parachute down have you ever parachuted before
1: i have not but now i'm picturing a battle royale game where the battle takes place on the bus before you launch (laughs) i'm like and then the winner is is the one who gets to parachute to the island yeah, is that a Peter Molyneux tweet waiting to happen? <laughs> Sorry, you should, you should
0: DM the guy and tell him to do I'll,
1: I'll shut up and, and
0: let you talk. <laughs> well, we're going to send you on your preferred method of travel, either a crate that floats in the ocean or a battle bus. I mean, it's entirely up to you, Barry. Um, but speaking of Konami and hating Konami, uh, I guess you don't hate <laughs> them that much. Because we're going to have to jump into your eight games, because we have got eight games here to talk about, both positively and negatively, so anyone who gets easily offended, please strap yourself in. Um, but of course, <laughs> let's jump into the 80th episode of Eight Games, chosen by Mr. Barry Kramer, and kick things off with the first game on his list. So let's listen to some music from the first game, and let's talk about Barry's final games.
2: silence through the night, what a thrill, I'm searching and I'll melt into you, what a fear in my heart, but your soul
0: Kicking off Barry's final games, and uh, I wonder if we will talk positively or negatively about Konami in this aspect, because the game that Barry has chosen to be the first game on his list came at a time when Konami were truly flying. Actually, maybe Mm -hmm. towards the tail end of them flying, because in the 90s, Konami just absolutely destroyed us all. They, They gave us Metal Gear... They gave us some incredible Castlevania games, especially towards the the time this game specifically released. Well, the first incarnation of this game was released. Um, Mm -hmm. Because Barry has not chosen the first incarnation of Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Uh, You've chosen the expanded subsistence release of Metal Mm -hmm. Gear Solid 3, which originally uh, released in Japan in 2005 uh, and then came to North America in 2006. I can't believe it was that late. Yeah, I didn't realize that. When I think of two thousand and six, I think of you know getting into the Xbox three hundred and sixty, the PlayStation three, you know era. Yeah, I think the, the Wii generation two thousand six. Yeah. yeah, but but Subsistence released in two thousand six, and also Mother three released in two thousand six. What? What? I know. So my weird. god, when I was sixteen, I was like playing Twilight Princess and and Mario Galaxy on on the on the Wii. I was. I was. No, all... no,
1: uh, Galaxy was a little later, but. It yeah. was a little.
0: 2007, <laughs> was it? Yeah, it was 2007. Seven or eight, yeah. But to think that Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence and Twilight Princess came out in the same year? It's really weird to me. It's messing with my brain this morning. Um, yeah. But Barry, the first game on your list is developed by Konami and published mm-hmm. by Konami. It was designed yeah. by everyone's favorite author, Mr. Hideo Kojima. And it is the uh, updated version of my personal favorite Metal Gear Solid game, Metal Gear Solid Ooh, we're going to get along. We are definitely going to get along. <laughs> it released for the PlayStation 2 uh, and then had later versions for the PlayStation 3 and the HD collection, also on the Xbox 360, and my preferred way to play it on the PlayStation Vita. I really enjoyed the, the HD version on the, on the PlayStation Vita. Have
1: you tried the 3DS version?
0: I have. I tried it. Speaking of, it, it's Gamescom this week when we're recording. I actually tried mm-hmm. it at Gamescom back in 2011. It was a weird experience. Playing... I tried
1: it at E3 2011 or 12 or something. Yeah.
0: It was, it was weird.
1: It, it ran surprisingly well. It did run surprisingly
0: remember. well and controlled not like us. Yeah, because that thing
1: chugged quite a bit on the PS2. It did. There there were some heavy sections.
0: This is something we can get into, because of course, Barry's first game is Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence, but nobody remembers that the first version of Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater controlled really badly. And it wasn't until Subsistence came out that it controlled like what we remember today. So, Barry, please tell me. yeah, Why is Subsistence, Metal Gear Solid 3, the first game that you're taking with you?
1: So, this... Might be the start of a theme with a lot of the games I've chosen. Or, like, Ooh, some themes. of them.
0: Yeah, but uh,
1: I haven't played that much of subsistence. Which is <laughs> maybe weird to say. Because I got Metal Gear Solid 3 when it came out in North America. Uh, so that's why, yeah, I was also was like, whoa, 2006, that's crazy. Because I played it years earlier. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, like, the, the crappy top-down camera version is my version of MGS3. But... I can't deny that Subsistence has a lot of goodies and also the updated camera which if you want you can switch back to the old camera I think just by clicking in the right stick or but something don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but don't But don't just stick with the new camera.
2: It <laughs> just stick it's with a lot game. better.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a but, lot better. So I I played through MGS3 Subsistence recently last year which is the first time I'd ever played through all of Subsistence. I played through the original MGS3 many times. And there were a handful of scenes where I was like I'm having difficulty let me snap the camera back to the top-down mode. Okay, now I, I know what I'm doing. It was like maybe like a weird muscle memory thing, where the environment was more familiar to me top-down. But generally speaking, yeah, like, like the new camera's a lot better. Um, but yeah, subsistence oh, well, just MGS3 in general is is my favorite Metal Gear Solid game. Agreed. I, I do I do adore the the entire series, um, but I think MGS3 is the most replayable of all of them. It's the one that I can just pick up and play for a bit the most. Do you think Um, it's more
0: replayable than five?
1: Well, that is a good point because five I think five is the best mechanically out of all of the games. Yes. Quite a large margin. I think Um, it's
0: it's strange to think that because even, you know, a game from two thousand and four slash two thousand six like Malgus L three really does compete with five, which has everything in it, almost. But some of the stuff that Metal Gear Solid Three did, some of the crazy ideas that Kojima had, like the camouflage system, the eating system, all this, the injury system, all these incredible Mm -hmm. things, just wow! To think at the time it came, um, it took a game, you know, ten years later in Metal Gear Solid Five to almost only just outshine it a little bit. I think in terms of systems. Yeah.
1: I I think five definitely outshines three in terms of gameplay and systems and, and just the ability to tackle the same outpost over and over from different vantage points in different ways. Yeah. Um, and MGS three's version of that would be like, there's certain sections of that game where you come upon an enemy outpost and you sort of get that same flexibility of how do you want to tackle it? Do you want to get through and, you know, get all the goodies that are in that area? Or do you just kind of sneak around it and get to your objective? Um, so it's like a more linear version of Five's open world, which kind of makes sense. But I think it's not just the the gameplay replay, replayability of 3, it's also the narrative. I think 3 has the best narrative of of the series. And normally I am a mechanics over story kind of guy, but specifically in the context of being on a deserted island for the rest of my life, I want I want both. I want the mechanics and I want the story because I want something that will keep me occupied for the Long days of being abandoned in the middle of who knows where, um, but I also want something to excite my imagination, and and, and three does that for me, uh, whereas five I think is, you know, widely considered to be a bit, bit lacking in that regard. Um, are, you,
0: are you are you with me in, in in agreeing that Big Boss is the the better of the two snakes?
1: The better well, f- of like 15 different snakes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, three if you encounter count Metal Gear Solid five spoilers, I guess. <laughs> well, it's it's this weird
1: thing, I maybe it's like an obsession of, of Kojima's where like two is all about sort of two's position in relation to one, and Solid Snake is kind of entirely about his context to Big Boss. Not yeah. entirely, he does have his own arc and development, especially once you get into four, things get really crazy, but. And Big Boss as a character, I think, is the most complex. Um, and Definitely
0: the most fleshed out, considering Solid Snake being the operative main character of the series.
1: Yeah, Solid Snake's the main character, but he's the main playable character in two of the five-plus games? Yeah. And then just Big one. Boss is, yeah, many more. We don't have to go into details. Many, but many more, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I like Big Boss a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, three is just a game where I can just replay it over and over, and just find different weird little strategies. And there's a million little Easter eggs and things that—that that was another thing I found. Maybe I just didn't look close enough. But from playing Ground Zeroes and Phantom Pain, it just felt like overall there was—it was not as dense a world. Uh, it was a very, very big world with a lot of things to do, and it felt good to do those things. But three has. Little optional objectives you can satisfy, like getting shooting all the, like what are they? The carotans, the, yeah, the frogs, the frogs, um, snake vs monkey, getting all the different camos. Yeah, snake vs yeah, and also there's all the optional side content that was some of it was in the original release, but also a lot of it was in subsistence. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know what I just when I think about the Melgar Solid series, and when I, I was just thinking about games in general, like what game would I want to replay like right now, even having recently replayed it and what I want to be able to revisit over and over for years to come. And it was, it was three by a, a wide margin, I guess. Um, it's just a damn good game. It's fun. You can put a, you can put an alligator hat
0: on your head or a crocodile, crocodile hat. Do we have any, how about this game on the Metal Gear Solid series coming Barry? Oh, do we, do we have a world exclusive on that? I mean, I
1: would love to make a video about something related to Metal Gear. I just don't know what it would be. I'd have to probably play some more and be like, because that's that's. I know we're talking about Metal Gear Solid, We're kind of past the introduction, but you know, that's that's a, a big part of how I choose what to make a video on. Is like, do I feel like I have something to say that hasn't been said a thousand times before? Yeah. Um, or Metal Gear is a very, a very
0: a very well trodden road yeah
1: it's like if i was gonna make a dark souls video it's like well what would i say Uh, there's there's what hasn't been said or what hasn't been said a lot or or what could i talk about and like dark souls is the
0: bananas of fruit
1: (laughs) (laughs) but i mean that's that's why like the the first video i made was about skyward sword but it wasn't about skyward sword it was about the sky in skyward Sword. i just took i took a laser focus to one part of the game i just tried to pick it apart for 10 minutes which is so what I... makes
0: that video series so special, in my opinion. they the very. Because it made such a difference. Like, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, Barry was talking about, <clears throat> you know, Skyward Sword has a heavy focus on being in the air, being on the Skyward Plateau Island thing. And, the, yeah. you know, flying through the sky is an incredibly important part of that game. But it was dull, it was boring, and it was off color. And Barry makes a very good case to changing it and what it should look like. And uh, you have like a, a a composite sort of edited version of the color of the sky and all that kind of stuff in the video. And it it makes it so much better. Yeah,
1: makes I mean, it but it, it's not like I'm the first person to say Skyward Sword Sky was not fun, but I was like, well, I'm going to make a video just about this one thing. So if I if I did a Mel Gear Solid video covering anything regarding any of those games, it would probably be something similar where it's like, I'm not going to talk about metal gear that's just it's too much but i'll, I'll be like i'm just going to talk about the camo system or the yeah. hunger system yeah. or like find some I feel like small slice that i can really pick apart and find something to talk about i
0: feel like in some small way that's where a lot of not a lot like some people have been heading more like laser focused niche topics because we have these broad overall series or game videos that are in the millions or dozens on youtube mm-hmm. now it, it it to make stuff more interesting does require a sort of more laser focused like this part yeah. of earthbound is unique and incredible because of blah blah blah
1: well yeah i mean it, it's not only easier to just re- like restrict your scope like that but it also allows you to sort of take one tiny thing and extrapolate it out to be like okay what can we sort of learn from this one system or this one moment or something yeah um I think it just makes for a better video as well. If you're like, I'm going to watch a 10 minute and one second long video on YouTube. So I, I, I think it's easier to be like, yeah, we're going to focus in instead of, I'm going to talk about all of dark souls too. Let's go. It's
0: just, it, it's just, it's too much. It's too much. So, it's yeah, too much. But,
1: but, but that's again, the thing that's great about MGS three is that there's so many different ways you can approach that game. Um, Besides, you can't really play it as an action game. I think in some of the trailers, they made it seem a little bit more action-y than you really can get away with. Maybe on easier difficulties, you can... Yeah, and to, towards the end placing. of the
0: game, like, when you're, you're escaping yeah. and stuff like that, it does go for the blockbuster finish, almost. That's
1: fair. There are some scripted sequences where you're just unloading yeah. with an unlimited clip. Yeah, which...
0: don't, don't, don't just snake doing the Rambo on top of the, on top of, I the, love, like, stuff.
1: I love the yell that David Hayter does when you are unloading... Your machine gun, he just does this like such a
2: gruff. (laughs) (laughs) So angry.
1: (laughs) Also, in in three, they make this whole convoluted point about how the boss has infinite ammo because her gun's shaped like an infinity sign. But then, anytime you're in those scripted sequences, you have infinite ammo, no matter the difficulty. I'm I'm done. It's fine. Maybe that's my video. (laughs) It'll be ten. It'll be ten (laughs) seconds long. I'll I'll post it to Vine. Rest in peace, Vine. Yeah.
0: World exclusive, you heard it here first. We'll yeah, be I'm bringing, bringing back Vine
1: game? and posting that and then shutting down Vine. There you go.
0: <laughs> re-shutting down Vine. <laughs> yeah. Reopening and re-shutting down. But yeah. I wonder, <clears throat> moving on from Metal Gear, I wonder what you have to say about another sort of very famous Japanese series that has exploded in popularity in recent times due to a very certain console game that came out earlier this year. Not that you've chosen that game, though. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you actually chose a game that, I mean, technically, as we're recording, hasn't come out yet. But by the time this episode goes live, will have come out uh, for the wonderful Nintendo Switch. So how about we move on to the next game on Barry's list and also talk about the island in which we're going to send him. So let's listen to some music from the next game, some wonderful horns, some blaring horns from -hmm. this next game. And let's move on to Barry's second game. As everyone yes. who has continued to listen to Final Games over the years will know, that before we jump into the second game, we have to talk about the island in which your battle bus is floating over or your crate is marching towards. Um, but, you know, on Final Games, we want to make you a little more comfortable. We don't want you, you know, we're giving you eight games for a reason, so although you the fate of being deserted kind of sucks, you at least have eight games to play and to pass the time. We don't want it to be too sour an experience for you so Mm -hmm. in terms of talking about the deserted island we give you the choice we allow you to choose where it is the place you're going to be going um but Uh. you have to you have to choose a place from video games it has to be a video game place or space from a video game it will be entirely deserted of people or npc characters or anyone who can help you but the wildlife or maybe the monsters or stuff like that will be there so you have to be a little bit careful so if you, you were going to spend the rest of your uh, destined time on this planet playing video games, Barry, where would it be? Uh, so the first place that comes
1: to mind is actually a location from a game that's on my list that we'll get to later. So it's spoilers, I guess. Um, but that's
0: Outset Island from The Wind Waker. Ah yes, a very good classic, almost deserted island as well. I guess it is deserted if this, you know, grandma and the the post bird and all them on yeah, there. Yeah,
1: there's there's a couple people hanging out. But it's guy beautiful. Who teaches you how to fight. It's beautiful. It's it definitely fits that sort of deserted island look because it's just sort of a tiny but not too tiny island. It's got some verticality to it. Um, and there are some monsters, but they're kind of they're in their to own little certain- area. Yeah, it's like you got dudes in the forest, and I think some dudes spawn on the beach, maybe if I remember correctly. But other than also, that, it's relatively peaceful.
0: And also, they're kind of you can make light work of those guys. They are not tough.
1: No, yeah, they're they're easy. It's a starting area.
0: I think a tiny, a tiny inexperienced little boy Link, if he can deal with them, I think you can, Barry.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, just give me a, the wooden sword.
0: Because um, <laughs> I mean, you have there, to. A, I'm Not giving you. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of islands from Wind Waker that you could arguably choose to be abandoned on. But I feel like something like like Windfall Island, which is the first major village in the game. Kind of only major village, uh, at least of that sort. Um, I, I feel like they would get lonely to just have an a, a, a island covered in empty buildings. <laughs> like Whereas, an, abandoned, an abandoned... Yeah, vet. it's like a ghost town. Like, yeah, more, like, like a, Apocalyptic.
0: The Gerudo village from um, Ocarina of Time, like that big sort of on the side of a mountain village, always felt like that to me. Even when you go in the houses, like it well, because felt... there were no
1: people, there were yeah. only soldiers. There were
0: just soldiers. It's really creepy, and yeah, I, I imagine absolutely. that's what it would be like.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any enemies on Windfall, but it would just yeah, you'd just be like uh, like it would still be creepy. Just all hang out, all yeah. hang out in the windmill shack, like uh. Whereas, but,
0: you know, Link's house on outside island is right next to the beach. Mm-hmm. And also, only one of the things... There's a couple other houses. Yeah, there's a couple of other houses. So you can move house if you wanted to. Is the guy that is who teaches you pigs. sword fighting, is, he, is, he, is his house uh, closer to the beach? I forget.
1: It's, I mean, it's like all beach. It's a tiny... <laughs> <place>. <laughs> it's, it's,
0: it's a beach <laughs> island.
1: Well, yeah, there's the guy. the guy that teaches you sword fighting and his brainy older brother upstairs... There's pigs um, on the island as
0: well for yeah, you to eat. Yeah, there's pigs for you to make there's, bacon yeah. and ham and.
1: Yep, nothing but pigs forever. Um, <laughs> Wait,
0: there's like uh, I imagine there's some coconuts or some sort of fruit in those trees. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, think I think you think pretty much uh, see it. I think there's a waterfall. There's definitely fresh there water is. in the forest. There's but... also
0: the watchtower in case anyone comes nearby and you want to get rescued. Yeah. Although I will not allow it. I will not allow it. <laughs> Got to clamp down opposite? on that shit. I'm being what's too kind already. Of
1: like, what's the opposite of writing out SOS and rocks on the beach? Just <laughs> stay like, away. Stay away. <laughs> yeah.
0: No rescue, please. No rescue, please. Quite happy. Quite content. Thank you. Yeah. I'm Thank playing, you very much. I'm playing the next game on this list. Yeah. <laughs> but one thing that I've always thought about with these things is these wonderful spaces have, like, beautiful music, and Alistair Island has easily some of the best music. that dun 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 dun, mm-hmm. dun is amazing. I love it so much. So there has to be we've spoken about this on Final Games before. There has to be a button somewhere on the island where you could just turn on the music and have it play <laughs>
2: while you're just going about box. your day. But before yeah. it
0: drives you crazy, you can just turn it off again and then just have like a break from it. That that would be great. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure with my omnipotent powers of the host Final Games, mm-hmm. would allow me to create such a button. Well, at the very least, I don't
1: think the music plays when you go there at night. It's been a while, but... Oh, that would, that
0: would be a good brief
1: respite. So even if you can't turn it off, at least you can sleep. So...
0: That's true, that's true. But every <laughs> morning, you'd be like, bum, bum, <laughs> boom, boom, <laughs> boom, 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 It's boom. like oh, a rooster. Oh, God, my, yeah. life, my uh... life is hell. <laughs> so maybe not.
1: <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll just jump into the sea after day two.
0: But, before you do that, Barry, just hold on a second, because we have to talk about the the second game. The Mm -hmm. the game you're going to be taking with you that hasn't quite released as we're recording, but will have released in the West, because it's already out in Japan. Of course, this series comes out in Japan first, apart from Monster Mm -hmm. Hunter World, which came out as a worldwide uh, exclusive at the same time, which was Mm -hmm. very nice of Capcom. Um, The next game you're going to be taking with you is a game developed by Capcom here in Japan, in Osaka. It released for the 3DS originally as uh, Monster Hunter Cross here in Mm -hmm. Japan. It came to the West as Monster Hunter Generations. There was an updated version called Monster Hunter Double Cross, an expanded Mm -hmm. version of the game in Japan, which then became Monster Hunter Double Cross for the Switch in Japan. Is everyone still with me? I hope uh, I hope everyone... Did Double Cross release on the 3DS? I didn't know that. Uh, I, yeah, I think so. Oh. Yeah, I think Double Cross released on the Switch, maybe. Uh, for the 3DS. I, I... Yeah, I know it's on the Switch. But it's yeah. on the Switch, yeah. Um, but then, now, this month of August, of August 28th, worldwide, because uh, it released in August last year here in Japan, uh... Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate or or, or Ultimate Generations. Um, I don't know the order. I think it's Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate is releasing for the Nintendo Switch. It is the first Monster Hunter game coming to the the pseudo handheld home console, uh, which is, I think for some players, going to be strange after getting into Monster Hunter World, this big console uh, exclusive, and then sort of taking a step back towards the 3DS games with... uh, maybe a little bit more of a clunky clunky control set but the full... thing would say a, a lot more a lot more clunky <laughs> yeah a lot more cl- i wanted to be kind <laughs> but yeah a lot more clunky it's, but, it's just praising the work they did
1: in world that's, that's true that's, that's but you're that not positive you're, you're not spin. taking
0: world barry you're not taking world. no i'm not you're taking monster <laughs> hundred generations ultimate um so barry
2: why
1: why barry well Uh, because I hate myself, and I don't want to bring World. (laughs) No. World is amazing. Uh, it's probably my favorite Monster Hunter, but it does have a few flaws. Um. Okay. Namely, I think there's just a lot less variety within World, and part of that, I think, is because they revamped the entire game. They rebuilt it from the ground up. There's tons and tons of quality of life changes that even, I mean, yeah, as we're recording this, Gen Ultimate isn't, or... Mhagoo, as I like to M-goo. call it for short. Mhagoo <laughs> for Switch. Yeah, Mhagoo for Switch. Um, <laughs> it's not out yet, so I'm cheating because I haven't even played it. Uh, there is a demo, but I, I haven't downloaded it. Anyway, um, World is amazing, and they rebuilt everything from the ground up, and there's a lot that's really, really good about World, and I love about World, but there's a lot fewer monsters. Um, yes! And the monsters are kind of the meat of the pie very literally that... the meat yeah yeah literally the meat unless you're capturing I'd be a pacifist but so i actually looked it up and generations ultimate has something like 90 something monsters in it it's a little bit absurd whereas world has like 30 something and that's including some dlc monsters so it's a pretty big disparity and when you're talking about a game i'm going to be playing for the rest of my life uh those monsters are more important i think than the quality of life changes um, like being able to gather on the go and stuff like that. I mean, that's like one of 50 million changes they made, but still. And and basically Monster Hunter as a game is also kind of cheating because every weapon is basically a different game.
0: Yeah, um, which is classic Monster Hunter now. Um, wow. like Like, I think World limited it a little bit. But then you had Generations had the weapons, but then the styles as well, right?
1: Yeah, all the weapons are in World, but Generations added different styles and Hunter Arts, which honestly, yeah, I'm, not it, biggest, arts. I'm not the biggest fan of the Hunter Arts. It, it definitely gives you more variety, but you kind of just find the one you like and stick with it. But who knows, after maybe 15 years of playing, I'll be like, yeah, it's time to change to a different art. Um but yeah, like I, I, ever since I started playing Monster Hunter in, in the in the third generation, I started with Try and Three U. I've been predominantly a hunting horn main because how can you not? You can swing around bagpipes and play them. And I do kill remember monsters with the it.
0: the game grumps Monster Hunter. What was it? Three hunting ultimate?
1: monsters.
0: Yeah, all the way back in the day when the series was still not. Reaching popularity in the West, the the Wii U version. I think
1: I think Try and 3U is when it really started to gain momentum.
0: Yeah, it was starting to gain momentum, and then they came out with Four Ultimate, which absolutely rocked the world. I think um on the new mm-hmm. 3DS. But you were you were playing the Horn back then as well, right?
1: Well, yeah, because I, I I picked up. I think it was Try. We were playing on for for hunting monsters. And I was going through all the different weapons because it's very overwhelming if you're not familiar with Monster Hunter. There's a lot they don't do a good job of teaching you, and there's a lot they just don't really teach you. Um, and so you just sort of... That's another thing that World did really well is they give you an actual training grounds where you can actually try out all the different weapons and smack them around, and it shows you combos on screen and damage numbers. Whereas back in the day, you would just kind of load it up and hop into a map and be like, all right, what am I doing? Uh, time to <laughs> dig into the menus and read for a while. Um but I was going through all of them, and they have all the starting equipment, because they give you the starting weapon of each different type. So you have the starting longsword, the starting dual blades, whatever. And then there's a the goddamn bagpipe. And I'm like, that's me. That's that's it. I don't care how it plays. I don't care what it does. I am using that bagpipe. And <laughs> that's, that's another thing that I, I have to give points to. I, I, I want to say, like, the traditional Monster Hunter series, like the ones that still look like PS2 games versus World, that... There's just so much more character and charm in the older Monster Hunters. And World has a ton in it. And through DLC, they've been adding in a lot of goofy stuff. But I'm mainly talking about the silly things. Like, everyone loves the badass Rathalos armor. And you just look like a goddamn legend. But I love making myself look as stupid as possible. And often that includes weapons that look like a knife and a fork. Or a cat paw. Or like (laughs) the, the ridiculous stuff they put in these games. And... There is a fair amount of that a fair amount of that in world but just not nearly as much as would come in the base versions of other Monster Hunter games. Um cuz yeah, you start with a bagpipe as a hunting horn and then later on it's like, "Oh, you get like this weird kind of insect flute thing and you get this weird wind chimes. Oh, now I've unlocked a, a harmonica. Now I have an electric guitar that's literally made out of a rock monster." It's just it gets so stupid so fast and I love it. And as a back, and as a hunting horn player, it changes just the sound effects that you make and the songs you play actually sound different. So it's not purely cosmetic. I mean, it's still basically it's cosmetic, but, you know, it's like, that's the stuff that would keep me playing, keep me grinding to unlock a new weapon is like, oh my God, that that's a hunting horn that looks like a blimp. I need that. I don't know what that sounds like. I need that. And then you're just grinding stuff to get to that point where you can finally unlock it and, and use it. And I, again, I love world. I, I, I've put at least a hundred hours into it, and that's very casual for Monster Hunter numbers. It uh, is very
0: casual, yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, just even I though I haven't played to... it, I just know like Generations Ultimate is just—it's—it's it's gonna have it all. It is. Gonna... I,
0: that's the thing is, it, it's one of those we were talking about it before. You know, when we're talking about the introduction, it's not the eight favorite games because then you would choose Monster Hunter World first, yeah, of course, hundred percent, right? yes. But it is that duality of being like well this is a series i really love but i need to be smart about the decision making with this i'm trapped for a while i need mm-hmm. to have my monster hunter fixed but i need to make it last a lot longer um, yeah and for some people world you know you can put 200 hours into that game and still not really scratch the surface but compared oh, to no
1: not at all yeah
0: compared to monster hunter you know generations ultimate which is many thousands of hours
2: Thousands yes. of hours,
0: because even when Barry gets bored of tooting his horn at monsters, like <laughs> some sort of like some sort of weird pan Piper leading <laughs> yeah. all the monsters to the village, um, you can then switch it up and you can switch to a different weapon and then a different art. And my God, the replayability—it's a whole new game. Yeah, I I'd never
1: really, I never really explored that much after falling into Hunting Horn until playing. I was playing a lot of Monster Hunter and streaming it earlier in the year when it came out. And I was playing with uh, a buddy of mine and another streamer octopimp uh, okay yeah and and we were playing together and we we decided to do uh, an arena quest and during the arena quest they restrict the armor and weapons you can choose so you don't go in with your own equipment they say, okay you have to pick from these loadouts and I wound up with the gun lance and he wound up with the lance and we destroyed a bear off or whatever it was and we just sort of looked at each other like, are these our new mains? We both instantly fell in love with the <laughs> weapons we had to use. And and I spent a lot of time. I also try to get into the bow a bit, um, and I enjoyed it. I, it's definitely easier to use the the long range stuff with a two stick controller versus the yeah. 3DS it does. It little, makes me jealous. I don't nubbed.
0: have I don't have the patience to get good at it. But I had when the game came out, I saw gifts of people who had like late, you know, sort of later game bows, and they could like take down, you know, like the fluffy bat monster. Like yeah, could, the palumu. They, they, they could shoot it once. And just, like, take that motherfucker down. And <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, the bow looks so good. Like, they're just, like, sniping monsters from across a map and, like, mm-hmm. taking them. Down. I'm like, oh, I wish I had the-, the patience to get good at stuff like that.
1: Oh, for sure. There there was a video that was making the rounds. It was four Japanese players, because, of course, it was. And they all had top-level heavy bow guns. And just a great Jagras just kind of calmly walks around a corner and they just open fire and kill it in like yeah. 15 seconds. Oh,
0: yeah. I think I've seen that gif. They're all dressed it the was just same like in there. Vo- yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> one of the first things I ever saw with Monster Hunter was a video from it was like Frontier Ultimate or two. I have no idea. Um, but it was it was four Japanese players. I believe they're all naked and they killed like a Rathalos with rocks. They just like pelted it with rocks until it died for like an hour. I was like, I don't know what this game is, but I want in. And then years later, I finally did. But yeah, you're right. Like, I, I could have picked World because that, I think, would be the moment-to-moment more entertaining game for me. But long run, I, I got to go with Gen Ultimate. I think that's that's the, the, the choice. I'm just going to have to get used to the jank. Got to yep. get back into the jank. I, th-
0: I think that's the thing is once you get used to it and, you know, you forget... How World Plays because you're trapped on an t- outside island. I think you'll be mm-hmm. fine. And yeah. you'll love it. And you'll enjoy And it'll be on Switch. So you have the the dual analogs which is like vitally important because Yep. I remember even the tiny new Nintendo 3DS little nub like not even mm-hmm. the stick like even the little nub yeah. even that made like tenfold a difference in my experience of playing 4 Ultimate compared to playing like uh monster hunter freedom unite on the psp like it was like mm-hmm. vastly different experiences i put hundreds of hours into full ultimate because of that tiny little knob and being able to use it as a camera control compared to trying time and time again to get into freedom unite so mm-hmm. i think with the Dual analog i think it won't be too bad a transition i think you'll be okay.
1: yeah yeah and uh because it's on the Switch, I could be like, oh, I'm going to go for a walk and find a nice little spot of shade and play some Monster Hunter. Don't yeah. to be stuck in my little shack with a HD television or whatever.
2: <laughs> whatever my de- desert island Giant 4K is. television. Yeah. It, takes
0: up the, it takes up one wall of uh, one of the huts. The I going is- to make,
1: like, uh, setup videos. Like, hey, guys, check out my rig in my wooden shack. <laughs> Welcome on a deserted to island.
0: island Cribs.
1: Yeah, I got the <laughs> tinted lights. Change color. Anyway.
0: (laughs) But Barry, speaking of vicious animals on an island, Mm -hmm. speaking of surviving anthropomorphic animals and uh, trying to not be killed or not be put into debt by some quite horrific creatures, we should move on to the next game. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about the next game. Because... I think a lot of people would uh, would uh, choose a different entry into the series mm-hmm. than this one. So let's listen to some oh, just beautiful, beautiful music from this series. <laughs> so peaceful. So great. And uh, let's, of course, jump into the next game on Barry's Final Games. So jumping into another island full of vicious animal creatures who are trying to take your money and make you do stuff for them. Ugh. Arguably worse. Arguably worse. At trying least you to can, kill you. Yeah. At least you can put a sword through monsters' heads in Monstante. You can't do that here. The worst you can do is annoy them with, like, a bug net and just, like, Or, try or
1: you can you can uh, run at them and swing your axe and it kind of clips through them, but there's, <laughs> they, don't, they don't react to it. But
0: then Nintendo's like, no. You can't do that. No, it, it doesn't like, count. It pushes your vertices back a little bit. So, you can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But the next game is a game developed by Nintendo EAD and published by Nintendo. It was directed by uh, Katsuya Eguchi and the wonderful Nogami-san who went on to create Splatoon, uh, produced by Mario genius Takashi Tezuka. It is, of course, the series that originally released on Nintendo 64 in Japan, but then this version, Dobutsu no Mori E+, came to the GameCube, and that was the version and the first game of Animal Crossing that we got in the West, of course known as Dobutsu no Mori, or Animal's Forest, here in Japan. It's, uh, I can't believe it's originally released all the way back in 2001. Oh, God. All the way back in 2001. I was 11 years old when this game oh my God, I do not even want to think about it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: I guess we're the same age, because, yeah. Yeah, I I think so.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I, this... I, I was I was born in '89. Ah, um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm 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 ne- I'm, I'm 28 now. I am yes,
1: but I was I, am also I was 1990. So, gotcha. I was December '89, but oh, it, it's I'm great. So sorry, because bag. yeah, you could just look at any year and be like, I am. I was that many years old. Yeah. In '91, I was one year old. In 2001, I was 11. It's very easy. Anyway, yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. That's that, that that that's what makes my life easier. <laughs> right. I'm like, how? I attribute all
1: my success to being born at a really convenient time. <laughs> but you for doing te- simple
0: math. You can technically say you were an '80s child, which is yes, which is something to cling on to. <laughs> yeah. But I tell you Take what. you that millennials. <laughs> I tell you what you weren't playing in the '80s though, was Animal Crossing for the GameCube. Hmm. You had to wait 12 years for that first. Nuts. From from the era of your birth. Yes. Barry, a lot of people would choose, and a lot of people on Final Games before have chosen, you know, New Leaf. It's,
2: mm-hmm. it's,
0: it's essentially the same game, but with a lot more features and a lot yes. more things going on. But why is it that you're taking the original GameCube game with you? So,
1: for me, I, I did play a lot of New Leaf, and I adore it. Um, but I think, ultimately, a lot of it is, honestly, nostalgia for okay. the original Animal Crossing. We're going to have some I'm nostalgia gonna... on Final Games.
0: we got to have yeah, some nostalgia.
1: And and as we go through my list, hopefully you see there's a pretty diverse variety. I tried to go for a whole lot of different types of experiences. Because um, I think the impulse is like, oh, I just want all the longest games ever. Uh, and New Leaf definitely has more content, more items within it, uh, more mechanics. But to me, it wasn't so much about... like. As opposed to Melgear Solid 3, where it's like, well, I need subsistence. I need, like, the most jam-packed version of that game. Just for every little extra bit of content I can squeeze out of that experience. But with Animal Crossing, I I, I think, it, again, it's a lot of nostalgia. But just that's, to me, the pure Animal Crossing experience. And I can't exactly explain why. I don't know what it is. I haven't played the original Animal Crossing in many, many years. But when I think back to Animal Crossing, that's the one I think of. And I think it's it's also the one that just felt the most straightforward to me. I think, honestly, the lack of a lot of those extra systems and, like, being able to customize your shoes and pants, like, just not having to worry about any of that and just focusing on the bare-bones experience, uh, I think gave it a lot of focus. And I don't know. I, I, I think it would be a good game. I mean, Animal Crossing in general, I'm sure, would be a good game because you just... Kind of can check in every day and just do a little bit. You don't have to sit down yeah. and play it for 15 hours. Uh, it, those games aren't really designed around lengthy play sessions as much.
0: I feel like having a game like that on on a in a situation like this and on a deserted island, something that you just check into for like 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day, would be kind of healthy. Yeah, like a bit of routine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're not just an aimless wandering soul. You have these little animals that depend on you.
1: Right, they need their pocket Pikachus.
0: They do, and technically, <laughs> I, I hadn't realized until right now. But you're, you, te- you, you've technically cheated, and you have yeah, like a like. That's an, part
1: two. That's part uh, two is okay. that I cheated again.
0: You did cheat. Do you do you want <laughs> to do you want to explain why, Barry? Why? Are you yeah, Animal,
1: Animal Crossing is jam packed with NES games, <laughs> so I get all those for free. This is uh, before Nintendo realized that they could just sell those as a separate. Purchase when Nintendo
0: had good faith in that do
1: Actually, I don't, I don't know what the full list of games is. I, kinda I can tell up. you. I can tell you. Do you have it pulled up
0: already? Yes. Uh, Balloon Fight, Baseball, Clu-Clu-Land, Clu-Clu-Land-D, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong Jr. Math, Donkey Kong 3, Excite Excitebike, Golf. In Japan, you had Gomoku Narabe Renji, Mahjong, But we had Pinball, Punch-Out, Soccer, Tennis, and even Wario's Woods.
2: Mm-hmm. Which that's is a game,
0: wasn't Worry Woods the game you needed the mouse for? Back um, on the, no, that was, oh no, it was the, like, Tetris, like, um, it was like the weird, Puyo, of, was it Yoshi's cookie or, or? Yeah, 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 it was like the weird, no, I Puyo. think,
1: I think Warriors Woods is just a really rare game. Yes, that's, not a lot of people had it.
0: It was like a, it was, it was kind of like Tetris, wasn't it?
1: Like Yeah, it's definitely like a brick stacking kind of game.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think um, it reviewed really well back in the day. But you are technically cheating because you have now l- bumped your list from 8 to 9, to 10, like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, <laughs> 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 games.
1: This is a theme with my list There's there's a lot of cheating and uh, I have no regrets.
2: And if, you, you, use cheat devices, and if you use <laughs>
0: cheap devices, you can actually get The Legend of Zelda.
1: Mm-hmm. Really? Was that on the disc? Yeah, fully
0: functional and the game's code, but was never made officially available uh, through that NES emulation on the game.
1: Whoa, I never knew that. Um, Yeah, what I was going to say was uh, it's only like a partial cheat, because there's a lot of good games in that list, but you don't have the Marios, you don't have the Zeldas. There's a lot of heavy hitters from the NES library that aren't included in Animal Crossing. And also, you don't just get these games for free. There's like yeah, yeah, work hard. Randomly Yeah, they <laughs> randomly show up. Um I remember playing it as a kid. I, I did get like four or five ultimately, but it was a very big deal when you found one in the game. Yeah um I'd never even heard of Clue Clue Land before, but my god did I play a lot of it. Um, <laughs> but I mean yeah, it's like that's not the main drum, that's not the main reason why I picked Ammo Crossing over New Leaf or any sure? of the other ones. But it's a little bit. <laughs> Just a It's little number bit. two. Number one is the nostalgia and the focus, and I think part of the simplicity. Was this of, part? Of, of, was
0: this why you were asking me the uh, the question before <laughs> yeah. before recording a couple of days ago? Barry was like, <laughs> "A compilation is okay. Am I allowed to cheat like that?" And I was like, "Well, well, I, had a I guess games. I had a couple of
1: other games that that ultimately got cut from my list that okay. were more explicitly compilation kind of things." Yeah. Like, repackaging these two or three games together in a, in a compilation. Um, Can I take
0: the Sega Genesis all-inclusive 25-game bonanza right, or something? Yeah, <laughs> like,
1: that feels like cheating, but... Yeah, um,
0: it's not with but, the spirit, is it? <laughs> but also, this is totally fine.
1: Yeah, and also with the original Animal Crossing, it's probably entirely wrong... But I prefer the the camera of Animal Crossing on the GameCube to the newer rolling. The pin weird design. sort of
0: isometric.
1: It's like a little bit of a shifted perspective, and then the the world is one giant continuous screen that just rolls around. I know it's um, like a
0: ball. It's so adorable when you see it from the broken camera, while well, the dead camera. It's adorable it's
1: adorable and. So- I weird. think they started that with like the DS one. It's been that way ever since. I think the GameCube ones and probably the N64 are the only ones with the sort of grid tile based top-down view. But I there's something about that camera angle and the fact that it's it's broken into these discrete chunks that also sort of added to my enjoyment of that game. And it's
0: so adorable. It's it adds to the <laughs> charm, but also kind of is like this weird world that you rotate around kind of is also Creepy. You're like, I can never escape. I will continually well, yeah. rotate around this island forever.
1: It's not something I've really talked to people about. I'm, I'm curious if anyone else feels the same way. But I remember when they made that shift with the, with the DS version, um, which I'm forgetting the name of. Was that Wild World? But whatever. Um,
0: yes, Wild World I feel was like, I feel first like... Re- the first DS one. Yes. Wasn't City yeah. Folk? City Folk was a GameCube. That was the Wii Oh the Wii, that was it. That was the Wii one, wasn't it? And yeah.
1: then the three DS one. And we're still waiting on a Switch
0: Animal Crossing Nintendo. I know yeah. you're listening, Nintendo. Come on, Aya. Get your get, your, get yeah. your finger out. Come on.
1: So maybe maybe a Switch Animal Crossing would, would hypothetically take the spot of this one, but Maybe
0: yeah, I, I just, maybe, I, I remember... maybe I'll put one in a bottle and hope that it reaches your island. As a nice <laughs> as a nice present to you, Barry, when when it comes out.
1: Thank you. That, that was actually a, a note that I, I wrote to myself on my list when I was brainstorming, was I want Melgislaut 3 Subsistence, or if there's a time portal near the island, I'd prefer Death Stranding, so I can learn what the heck that game is.
0: Wow. Oh, yeah, you would take the risk just to find out what the fuck it is. <laughs> yeah, it's like maybe it's, it's a
1: five-minute demo, and it's not even a, a, a quote-unquote full game, because you, you can make a five-minute full game. I'm not going to say that, but... Not what people are expecting from yeah, that. Post-Man but, yeah, Postman it like...
0: and it lasts 10 minutes where you're just climbing <laughs> up a mountain to deliver a package.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then that's it. There's one path through the game and you're done. But I'll have it forever. <laughs> and I'll know, damn it, I'll finally know.
0: Um, <laughs> but... Maybe I'll send you that as well. Or I'll send you whatever Kojima coughs up. So but you... only
1: in exchange for the other game. I have to send Yeah, that you have back to out. send
0: back subsistence.
1: Yeah, I can only have eight games at a time.
0: A blood trade for Kojima's Kojima's blood work.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gladly. But, But
0: Barry, I think we have to move on to your next game because it's a game that I've heard so much about,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: but I've never played myself.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I've never played. I don't know why. I think it's because it's a point-and-click adventure game, and that kind of usually is not my cup of tea. It's not usually the type of game I play. I've always tried to get into point-and-click games like Deponia. and Obviously, I played Monkey Island back in the day, but
2: mm.
0: this is not usually the type of game I personally would play. So I'm very interested to hear, because so many people go on about how fantastic this episodic series is. And maybe one day I should play. Maybe you should convince me. So how about we'll we see. listen to some music from it? And let's, of course, dive into the next game on Barry's List. List is a game developed by Cardboard Computer, which uh, happens to be probably the most awesome game development name ever. Cardboard Computer, <laughs> this is fantastic. Published by Anapura Interactive, this was originally a uh, Kickstarter game uh, with a with a small measly goal of six thousand five hundred dollars, uh, which then exceeded to eight thousand five hundred eighty three, smashing their target. Ooh. But I imagine those guys now have uh, they're able to make whatever they like, considering how this this series took off. It's a game that is separated into 5 acts, with the fifth act supposedly coming out this year. Um, it's been available on Steam and Windows and uh, I think there was a PlayStation 4 version uh, there's also a switch version, right? Or, yeah or one so that's coming there
1: it's it's episodic as you mentioned and and we're waiting on act 5 and they announced that they're doing a console edition I, th- I think is what it's called, which is going to contain all 5 acts and that's gonna come out on at least the switch. Nice. But currently it's PC only.
0: Haha, <laughs> maybe there's a way for me to play. If they make it easy and they make things come out on the Switch, I am much more inclined to play them, I think. Um, but it mm-hmm. is a sort of magical, realist, point-and-click adventure game. Uh, I don't really know what else to say. It's Kentucky Route Zero. Barry,
1: Yes. take it away. So, this list is a lot of games that aren't my favorite games of all time. This is a game that's probably one of my favorite games of all time, and it's oh, not wow. even done. I adore <laughs> every inch of this game. And full disclosure, I've only played the first three acts. I actually didn't play Act 4 when it came out, because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait until I can... Because that's the thing. That's actually... I- I-, I I looked up this game on Steam last night to just see if there was any news about a release date for Act 5. And don't go to the discussion page on steam for this game it's a lot of really angry people because basically when act one first came out in i think 2012 or 13 they were like yep here's act one act two will be out later this year and then the remaining acts will come out next year and we're now four plus years away from that and still it's not done um i will wait until the ends of time for them to finish this i want them to take every minute they need to make this game as perfect as it already has been up until this point um, i guess
0: I guess if they have plans for the Switch version, they must realize that the fifth version is finished or at least in some way nearing completion.
1: Yeah, I mean, they I don't think they have a release date for the console edition, but the idea is that once that releases, then that will also presumably coincide with Act 5 being released. But yeah, I played Act 1 shortly after it came out. I had never—I missed the Kickstarter completely. I had no idea this existed and basically saw articles popping up On some of the gaming sites that I visit. And just from the screenshots, I was like, this is intriguing. It wasn't enough for me to buy it, but just from the screenshots, I was like, okay, this looks different than a lot of things I've seen. And I sort of kept seeing it pop up every now and then on Twitter or on Reddit or something. And to this day, this game hasn't blown up. I don't think it's a mainstream game. Um,
0: I don't think it's a mainstream game, but it's definitely, I think it's, it's been successful i mean it was i I think it has rock paper shotguns game of the year in 2013 and was at the gdc awards uh as the best narrative so
1: those guys and it's not even
0: done it's not even done yeah (laughs) not even done
1: basically it's i don't know what uh, what eventually pushed me to just buy it and, and check it out but from like minute five i was just hooked and i'd never really experienced magic realism in fiction before but it is intoxicating, um, and basically the reason why this game is on my list is, I, I almost view this game as as like a. In my in my mind, I'm picturing like, okay, I'm on a desert island. Act five is out. I hope so. I have all five acts. I have a complete experience. And yeah, don't worry.
0: We'll th- we'll make sure that you get act five. I wouldn't allow you to take it without yeah. that. That would suck.
1: Yeah, you'll 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 mail it over and in another battle bus. Um, and uh, I almost view this game as like a, a, an old favorite book that I could return to every so often. Because, um, again, I have games like Monster Hunter and, and Animal Crossing where it's like, you can kind of play these games forever. Um, but I also knew I wanted some stuff that was not, you put millions of hours into this experience. And Kentucky Road Zero is, is decently beefy for being a episodic point-and-click adventure game. Um,
2: yeah,
1: But... It's not a dozens and dozens of hours. I think it's like a couple hours for each act. Um, but there's a lot of optional content. There's a lot of conversations you can really drill into. Um, but it's not a traditional point-and-click adventure game. I know you were mentioning it's not usually your, your kind of genre. And I kind of agree. Like, I, I played a lot of point-and-click adventure games growing up. Um, and I've played a handful in, in more recent years. But Kentucky Road Zero doesn't really have any puzzles There's no inventory. It's pretty much exclusively walking around, interacting with stuff and looking at it and talking to people. And that might sound very, very boring, but (laughs) the, the quality of the writing and the art direction and the music, everything comes together and it just creates this incredibly beautiful, sometimes haunting experience that's just unlike anything else I've ever experienced in any medium. And I kind of use every opportunity I have to sing its praises because everyone should at least check this game out. Um it's very very special and I'm very very excited to play through the entire thing once Act 5 comes out. Do you think so,
0: do you think uh, a game like this transitions well to a console like the Switch?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um they added controller support to Steam a couple years ago. Okay. Um because, again, basically what the game is is you have your the character you play as, Conway, and you walk around the environment and, and interact with stuff and talk to people. So translating his movement instead of clicking on a part of the map and him walking to it to just direct input, that doesn't change the experience at all. And then presumably using the right stick to move a cursor around to poke at stuff. Because whenever you're over or near an interactable object, you get a little pop-up that's like, this is a newspaper. Like, it's not like, traditional point click adventure games where you're just like clicking everywhere on the screen to be like what can i interact yeah. with what and helps then you me pick progress up, you pick up everything in the world because everything's gonna come in handy at some point and you progress until you get stuck and then you mash everything together until you can move on this is not that game you you always have a sense of forward momentum but you have time to sort of go off the, the critical path and and explore the world and the characters and, you know, if you want to... I'm sure a speedrun of that game would be very quick is kind of what I'm saying, but you you choose to go, no, I'm going to go over here. And, and there's something, something that's kind of fascinating about this game to me is the save file is written in plain text and it's just a TXT document saved into a folder and you can open it up and you shouldn't because there's spoilers in there, but it tracks... <laughs> That game tracks an insane amount of things you can do and see in that game. Um, Just like there's a million little things that you might happen to stumble upon while you're playing the game, and the game tracks everything. So even if it's no more than just a character referencing something, it just feels like your narrative because, hey, we're going to make a three-word reference to a thing you did two games ago. Because it's one shared save file for all three, for all five acts. So it will um,
0: reference the your save file locally on your computer and be like, "Hey, you did this." Yeah. Very much so. In the uh, Telltale, blah blah blah. Boom. We'll remember this.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing is like Telltale. I, I love Telltale. Uh, I've been a fan of them since they were like, "We're gonna make Sam and Max games." I was like, "Sweet." Um, I, I don't like how they throw that in your face, that, like, so-and-so will remember this. I think it, it kind of undercuts the experience and kind of takes it's, you out it's, of it. It's of like, so I
0: unnatural. To, it's w- it's unnatural,
1: and it, it makes you... It, it, it kind of forces you to think of it as a game rather than as a narrative. Absolutely. And yeah, it you're would like, be okay, so well, much
0: better if you were surprised by someone's reactions in the future. Like, yeah,
1: it, it, it's just like, oh, I didn't realize that this person would care about this thing I did. And also... I, I haven't played I think they just started a new season of The Walking Dead um but it didn't seem like your choices really came up that often or if it was gonna happen it was very clearly telegraphed and then it didn't need that warning at all like it'd be like oh yeah this this person has their elderly father and you're like I'm not gonna help him and now she's mad you're like okay I get that that makes sense but you'd be having a conversation and you're like oh I don't feel about that I don't I don't I don't want to do that it's like so-and-so will remember this and like is that important? You're giving this a lot of weight, but it feels like a very flippant yeah, comment. Yeah. Do I need to replay this to section
0: again and be like, get a better thing? I don't know what to expect. It's, it's. I've, I've always found it really weird that they do that, and I don't like it.
2: <laughs> I really yeah. don't like it. It feels incredibly I mean, unnatural. Especially,
1: I think it's a it's a intuition for a lot of long time gamers to want to min max everything. So even when yeah. you're playing a narrative game, you're like, okay, well, how do I make every character love me?
0: But it doesn't lend to those to experiences happy. in any way. Like it does not. Apart from if you're trying to speedrun it or trying to get multiple endings for what you did prior, it, I, it really doesn't help in any way. It, it, I think it impacts negatively upon the experience that you could have. Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, and and I think the the strongest points of of especially the Walking Dead games are when they really give you difficult decisions where they're like, here's two options and both suck. And it's not, sometimes they, they do it a little bit ham fistedly where it's like, Oh, like so which character so. is going to die. And it's like, that's a really big decision. It's just kind of like, well, I like their personality better. So I'm gonna pick this person, but <laughs> well, don't, well, I'm not well, we'll remember those. this as they die. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's, there's, I, I don't want to spoil anything because people should absolutely play those games. Um, but there's, there's a handful of experiences or, or, or scenes that I remember where you're like, oh, shit, like both my options really suck and they very clearly explained the pros and cons to each side you might yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And you have time to sit there and stew in it and be like, oh, shit, this sucks. Like that's when those <laughs> games are at their best. Um, but Kentucky Route Zero is a very, very different game and they don't push any of that in your face. They just drop you in this world and go, yep, it's – they don't even say it's magic realism. It's just like, yeah, like – and and I again I had no idea what magic realism even was. And I don't think I'm even a fair still
0: mo- sure what it is.
1: My my layman's understanding is it's a magical world where the the supernatural is treated as ordinary. That's sort of the the simple so basically like in most fantastical works of fiction, yeah. like a lot of high fantasy you might think yeah. of there's I think usually I, an outsider yeah. that, that like, like, you have, like, Harry Potter in Harry Potter doesn't understand the world of magic, and you follow mm. him through the story of, like, wow, what's this? What's that? Everything is new to him as it is to you. I- I've but always magic- thought of
0: it as, like, uh, The Simpsons. The Simpsons having, like, aliens and anthropomorphic creatures or stuff that just happens magically sometimes that just isn't mm-hmm. treated as the ordinary. That's always been, like, my weird understanding of magic realism. I'm like, does that count? Is that what magic realism is? Is it? It's just where normal life has magic (laughs) infused into it. I think
1: that would count, but in The Simpsons, it's usually played as a goof. True. Whereas, but if goofs are normal, (laughs) I mean, you're you're not wrong. Um, (laughs) But in in Kentucky Route Zero, the 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 crazy supernatural elements, which again, are are very much drip-fed to you. The game doesn't just drop you and go, everything's crazy. Things seem 100% normal for a very long time. And it isn't until, like, maybe the end of Act 1, starring in Act 2, where you're like, oh, because the, the the titular Kentucky Route Zero is a road you're looking to find for reasons. It's a, a route within the state of Kentucky. And you don't even get to the Kentucky Route Zero until the very end of Act 1. That's technically a spoiler, but basically, like, I I I just uh, it's so hard to talk about this game because it's just it, you just gotta just, just experience it for yourself. But it's like there's just like little things they are just like flavor within the world or the way people talk about things. Yeah. And it starts off very much like oh like someone's just talking. You're like oh that's kind of weird that they're talking about like maybe is that like a reference to like ghosts? But maybe that's a metaphor. Okay, I guess it was just a metaphor. I don't think there's any ghosts in this game. Oh. This person's brother is a giant bird. And he's like, this is my brother. And you're like, what? And it just... There's a lot of just surreal imagery that there's like, yeah, no, this is just how the world is. This is just how it works. Yeah, I I don't think I'm doing the best job selling this game. No, no, you're
0: doing it because you're sort of (laughs) ham-fistingly being like, this
2: is awesome.
0: (laughs) Which is always really wanting me to try it out. I'm like, why why is this person struggling to explain what this is? Is always kind of, like, the best example of games you should play for me.
1: Because all I want to do is tell you stories about things I stumbled yeah, upon. Yeah, yeah, That exactly. would deprive you of your potential experience. But I can just allude to the fact that, like, there was one part of the game, I think it was in Act 2, where you, there's a parts of the game where you have more or less an open map where you drive around and then there's points of interest you can stop by. And some of them are almost like text adventures where, like, I remember there was a church and you pull up to the church and they have this overworld map. That's like very abstract, black and white. The game is a very striking visual style, very minimalistic. Yeah. And you're driving around the map and you pull up to a church and instead of a new screen with like 3d models walking around and stuff, it's just a text pop up and it you hear audio playing and it's like you, you approach a church and you hear the voices of people inside singing hymns and stuff and you hear it. And then you like walk around and like pick from options and it's like turns into a weird little text adventure, and it's purely just kind of world-building. It doesn't really have any impact on, like, I'm going to get clues as to where I'm supposed to go. It's just like, here's this little side narrative, this little experience that plays out before you. <laughs> and then later, I was... And so that's like, if you drive around the map, you'll just stumble into that. Yeah. There's a thing later in a different act where you're driving around, and you find a lookout... And it actually cuts to like a new scene where you have your truck and you see your guy. It's all graphical and visual and it's beautiful. And you just stand there. And this is, again, kind of a minor spoiler. I'm not going to get into detail. But basically, like, you just sort of sit there and you're like, okay, this is a very nice little Vista. And you can get in your car and drive away. But if you wait and you have to wait, like, I actually looked up a video of it uh, last night because I was like, yeah, I was like remembering what I love about this. You have to wait for like 30 seconds. And there is maybe a subtle cue that something might happen, but it's not like you should wait. But if you wait, something happens that then unlocks like another little vignette in the world you can go drive to and see. Um, So just the experience of playing this game, you just like unravel little threads of narrative and you're like, am I just surrounded by invisible narrative that I just can't even, I don't even know how to find Uh, it. Yeah, how much
0: is there? How much isn't there? Like the developers almost disguising the game has this oh completely open-ended thing where you're you're unsure as to what will happen is or uh, unsure as to what the 100% of the game is like there will always be stuff where you think hang on did i miss something right if i followed and this you're, up you're, would you're, i have found something yeah
1: and you're kind of always confused by the nature of how this game kind of works and talks to you um and then yeah, if you if you if you want to spoil yourself, you crack open the save file and you're like, what the hell is half of this stuff? It's like <laughs> it's like tri- it's like triggered avalanche, yes or no? And you're like, wait, what? What?
0: <laughs> where, yeah, is is, <laughs> where is the snow? Where is
1: there's no snow in the game. That's not in there. But that's like an example. you get the idea. I think I've yeah. made my my case. Uh, I, but I, you for definitely the have. island, for the island, I think it's just a a very it's it's like an old favorite book. Is sort of the the way I even having not played through the whole thing, just from the the three acts I have played, um, I just know like this is this is a world and a story I can just return to over and over and over again, and just give it some time in between so it still feels fresh. Um, uh, and there's this also always happens
0: on final games. There's always games I haven't played, and then the every guest gives a convincing argument as to why, and I'm like, God damn it! Now I need to buy more video games. <laughs> I,
1: I would say just wait until Act 5 comes out because at this point, we're hopefully within a few months. If they delay it, then it's like maybe max a year, but okay. probably not. I feel like I'm going to just pick wait until that situation. comes out. Yeah, get the Switch version. You'll have a great time. Um, okay. You've convinced me. You'll be able to play baby. all the acts back to back. So, Or just buy it now and then play up their Act 4 and be like, where is it? <laughs> I'm um, ahead of Barry. <laughs> okay. One thing that I'm curious about with the console edition so the, the Steam version. Comes, this is the last thing I'll say, then we can move on to the next game. Um, <laughs> it has all the acts within the, the, the thing, and it downloads the new acts when they come out. But there's optional free interludes available off of Cardboard Computer's website. Basically, between each act, there's a free downloadable thing. I mean, that kind of changes for each act. Um, and it's optional, but it's within the the world, within the universe, sometimes with different characters and i think they're absolutely worth experiencing and i don't know if they're going to include those or like allude to them within the switch version because the the first one which kind of bridges act one and act two kind of introduces a character that shows up in act two um is kind of just feels like a bonus scene uh it sort of feels like more kentucky route zero from what i remember and then between acts two and three was a fictional play and it gets really weirdly meta-narrative where you're watching this play and it's first person you're sitting which like none of the game is first person but in this interlude you're it, you're first person and you're sitting and watching a play but also you're maybe an actor within the play because sometimes there's like stage directions that pop out and refer to you as barfly and it's like barfly bar sits and stares for a little bit um, Cause you're just like a, a regular. A barfly is just like a regular at a bar. Yeah. Um, oh,
0: okay. I thought it was like some sort of magical creature. I like you're. No, 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 no. <laughs> For a second.
1: <laughs> but it's it's been it's been a, a number of years since I played through that interlude. But it's like a full play that's like an in-universe play. But also, I think it might be like a semi-autographic autobiographical narrative about like characters within. It's like you get to these weird layers. Um, <laughs> and then I think my favorite is between Acts three and four. Um, yeah, because then there's another one that that came out recently between four and five. So between three and four, they they uh, so you know when you, whenever you call certain companies like a bank or something, it will be like, "Oh, welcome to the bank. Press one for sales. Press two yeah. for marketing. Yeah. What, whatever it is, you have like these menus you can stuff through." They made a fictional. It's a real phone number you can call which maybe they might have taken down, but there's, like, a virtual version with a virtual phone, so you can just, you know, play it. Because also, the audio quality through a phone yeah. is not good, and I think it's probably yeah. a little bit better through the, the app you can download. But it was a real number you could call that's a hotline for an in-universe uh, tourism campaign for an underground river system. And what? you can go through the phone options to, like, like, it, like, asks you questions, and you're like, oh, like, this or that. It's fucking bizarre because i remember drilling down to a certain layer where it was asking it was like it's like if you need help identifying sounds in the underground river press five and i'm like five and it's just like if you heard this sound and then it plays a sound effect like this weird like low rumbling roar for a couple seconds and it's like if you heard that press one and i'm like uh i didn't hear that it's like if you heard this and it's like a weird like 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 a, like a, a screen yeah it's something. like red scream you hear these weird sounds like which sound did you hear and it describes it in in excessive detail and I'm like this is my favorite thing ever and and as part of that they released a, a there was an eBay auction where they sold a phone and it was an in-universe character who put up an auction um saying we have this phone that can only dial one number it works perfectly well but it can only dial one number which as a huge fan of the author Douglas Adams, feels very much like his kind of sense of humor. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they sold this phone, and the one number it could call was the number that that this whole, it, it's like it's. I almost, I almost want to say ARG, but it didn't have an end game. It was just like here you go, here's here's a toy to play. You with. can
0: tell they are having so much fun. Just and that's
1: why I don't care that it's been years because they're yeah. pouring their souls into this thing and making the, this between, whole
0: universe. Between
1: Acts 4 and 5, they put out a virtual television channel that has hours of content that you can just sit there and watch, and then there's, like, a downloadable version that's, like, behind the scenes of them putting on this local channel public access thing. It's it's bonkers. It's crazy, and I love it, and I'm done talking about Kentucky Route Zero.
0: <laughs> wow. I think, you, yeah. well, you've certainly convinced me, so... I'm pretty sure you must have convinced at least ten other people. At least ten. Buy it. At least ten. To check it out. When the Switch run comes out, I'm gonna have to check that out. That is madness. You can tell how much fun the developers have had making that game. And just being like, hey, we should just make our own TV channel. How about we make like a phone thing? That's the kind of Mm -hmm. wacky shit I would love to do.
1: Like yeah, if you're like if I had infinite time and money, let me yeah.
0: Yeah. If you have the time and the money to do that and you have a fan base that is willing to wait patiently for you to create that stuff, like, go nuts, man. Just create Mm -hmm. that mad shit because no one else gets to do it. So, uh, that sounds incredible. And I'm very looking forward to the Switch version now and checking it out myself. So, thanks for that, Barry. I
1: hope hope they include those interludes in the console versions because they're absolutely worth checking out.
0: I hope so. I hope so, too. Like, especially the phone one. Especially the fun one. I want to try this. It's a
1: good time. Yeah.
0: But speaking of other indie games that you have to convince me to play. Well, I've wanted to play (laughs) this one for a while. I've just, I I don't, I don't have any friends to play with, Barry. I don't have any friends to play this with. I'll play with you. Oh, thank you. welcome. I hope he means it. (laughs) 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 We have
1: each other on Discord now. That's true. That's true.
0: Don't, don't (laughs) let them see behind the curtain. I
1: mean, we're in the same room.
0: We're we're talking. We're we're on the battle bus. I'm interviewing you before you make the drop. (laughs) (laughs) Can they not hear the disco? Can they not hear the disco in the background?
1: The podcast just ends with a sound effect of a big like hatch opening in Russian wind, and (laughs) I yell for an hour.
0: Now I have to edit that in afterwards. I'm gonna have to get (laughs) you to
1: scream
0: later. No, you don't. (laughs)
1: <laughs> as 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 an editor, I'll tell you, you don't have to. It's okay. Oh, we man. all we all live you... that moment in our brains. It doesn't yeah. have to happen.
0: I, I can't I can't even imagine the stuff you've had to think of or justify not having to edit some nonsense over the years, Barry. Here's
1: here's the trick: if you don't want to do something, just make it a joke about you not doing it, and then you don't have to do it. <laughs> just replace it with something, because then that's better with nothing. And it's better you're than.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, right, exactly. But this is a game I've been trying to... Well, I've watched lots of videos of it. I I think I first came across it when I watched the uh, Hey Ash, What Are You Playing video on it. And it was Mm. hilarious, and it made me really want to play it. But I have, yeah, as I said, I have not had... I've lived in Japan for three years. Playing online multiplayer games and stuff like that is uh, not something that's really possible for me these days. So Mm. let's listen to some music from this next game, and let's have Barry basically convince us to buy it because that's what he's very good at and uh let's jump (laughs) right into it So jumping into the next game I have to buy is a a game developed by Chris Hecker, uh, who is a a really well-known video game developer who uh, worked with uh, Will Wright on Spore and did some stuff for Maxis back in the day. Really smart guy. Um, Mm -hmm. He's been developing this game for nearly 10 years now. Forever. Since
1: video games were invented. Since
0: video games were invented in the year of 2009. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) it's an asymmetrical uh, multiplayer uh, espionage game Uh, a game where one player uh, takes the control of the spy and has to mingle at a party achieving objectives trying to do stuff while the other player is a sniper trying to figure out which of the uh, cocktail party goers is the other player the spy and has to shoot them It's a a game of cat and mouse in the very, very logical sense of the word. Um, It's a game I've always wanted to play. It looks so much fun. Just so much fun. And some of the videos I've seen of this game look incredibly joyous and hilarious. But it's a game I've never had to play. And Barry, please don't tell me I'm missing out too much. Why are you taking it with you? Because you're missing out on the best oh, multiplayer God damn it, game of no, all time. No. <laughs> no. <laughs>
2: um,
1: Spy Party is... I mean, well, first of all, if you just say asymmetrical multiplayer to me, I'm there. Yes. That's that's like... I love um, that. Um, yeah. I don't care what it is. I'm interested just from those two words back to back. Um, I just... I love games where two people or more are trying to accomplish different things and have different mechanics even. It's not just like... I mean, I do love... Sort of traditional team-based multiplayer. I mean, I almost put Overwatch on my list as just like probably my, my favorite online game of that variety to come Your out. Your favorite long time.
0: normal game that has multiplayer. Normal game, because
1: again, <laughs> talking about the the list as a whole, um, I I I wanted that variety, and I knew I wanted something that was not necessarily online. But, you know, provided that kind of multiplayer experience. Because I, I don't know if I got an Ethernet connection running into the ocean or something. And Don't, I think don't the game, worry about
0: the internet. You'll be fine. You'll be fine.
1: I'm You're just, pretty sure... You just can't
0: talk to the other person. And in this game, you shouldn't really want be talking. To. You don't really want to anyway.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's fun to talk after a match to, to kind of compare notes, as it were. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you don't want to talk to the other person. But unless you want to psych them out. That's that's the fun part. Um, but... Yeah, basically, it's 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 that magical kind of game that's kind of endlessly replayable. And and what I was gonna say was I, I I believe it has bots currently, so you can play against AI, even if you didn't have other people to play with. Um, the bots at the very least, I know smart. I don't know. I've pretty much only ever played against people. Um, but Chris <laughs> Hecker I could being be Chris so Hecker. <laughs> I mean, you can play against people online. There's just servers you can just hop into. Ah, yeah, that's um, true. Yeah. But that, that, that
0: only recently happened, right?
1: Um, Well, it recently launched on Steam.
0: Yes. So this, so was, it, in, it, this was in early access from this year. But before that, yeah. for many, many years, it was like a closed invite-only beta. And then there was a public beta. And then it pretty much stayed like that until then it got early access release earlier this year, right?
1: Yeah, and I don't think we know when it's going to be, f- like, done out of Early Access. But, yeah, I so I, I actually saw Chris Hecker speak at NYU while I was a student there my senior year. Um, and he talked a lot about Spy Party and, and his plans for it and his, uh, like, mindset and approach. And, like, all everything he said just resonated with me of, like, oh, my God. I And he did have a couple laptops running it so we could play it. Um, and I, I bought into the beta shortly after and yeah. I think I played like one game in the beta um, and sort of waited until it came out on Steam to, to really dive into it. It had always been in the back of my mind. is like, I want to play Spy Party. I just need to find someone to play it with because one, one of the most fascinating things about Spy Party is it's incredibly tuned to player skill. And what that means is if you have even a couple more hours experience over the other player, you're almost 100% going to win. That's how... Like, there's no real randomness to it. It's just kind of
0: human behavior and... And getting getting used to predictable behavior.
1: Yeah, and, and like, there's a lot of different permutations to the way the game works. Um, basically, as the spy, depending on the difficulty level you have it set to... Um, Say you, So you, as the spy, you have a bunch of different targets you're trying to achieve, different goals, and those vary, and God, there's so much to unpack. Basically, like, you could have, uh, let's say on th- there's multiple different maps which have different numbers of people. There's different maps that favor the spy versus the sniper or vice versa. Let's is sort of a basic map, and there's a possibility of six different objectives that can take place on that map. So on easier difficulties you can set it so there's only three active objectives and the spy has to accomplish all three to succeed and the sniper knows what those three are So okay. if one of those if one of those objectives is the there's there's uh, little statues at the party and the spy wants to swap one out for another one. So all the sniper really has to do if they are paying attention is just stare at the statues and wait for someone to walk up and change it into a different one and then it can shoot that person. Yeah, okay. So that's like the simplest version. A step up from that is then now there's a possibility of five different objectives, but the spy only has to accomplish three of those five. So now the sniper can't can't just sit and stare at one objective. They have to move around and keep track of multiple things. And it just gets more and more complicated from there. From the spy's perspective, the simplest version is you walk up to the statue, you hit a button, you swap it out. As the difficulty improves, or as the difficulty gets harder, and the idea is like, if you're playing a lot of matches against the same person, you sort of increase the difficulty as you sort of like. If the I think the idea is if the sniper is winning more than the spy, then you should bump it up so the spy has an advantage again. That's okay. like how it sort of seesaws back and forth as you get as you get good. Um, get good. But As it gets as it gets harder for the spy, so instead of just walking up and pressing a button, now there's a little animation, and it's basically the same as the active reload system from Gears of War, where you hit the reload button in that game, and if you just let it play out, he does a reload. But there's a little sweet spot during this little bar swiping horizontally across this line, where if you hit the button again during that line, it, it, he finishes the animation faster. And then there's a very tiny vertical line in the middle of that sweet spot. And if you perfectly hit that, then you get like a uh, ammo boost or, or something, I feel like a damage boost. Uh, there's some like extra perk if you manage to perfectly nail that, that timing. So in Spy Party, it's the same idea, but now it's a big horizontal red bar with a single green section in it and then a white line in that green section. So if you hit in the red section, now instead of, Swapping out the statues, you like drop a statue. And you're like looking around a lot, and it's like a very obvious animation. You're like, look at me, I'm the spy. Like, you fucked up. And if the sniper's looking at you, you're dead. If you hit it in the green, then he does the normal uh, animation for swapping out the um, for swapping out the statues. Okay. If you hit it, if you hit it perfectly on the harder difficulty levels, it depends on what the objective is. But with the statues specifically, what it does is the spy puts the exact same statue back and the next person that walks up and touches a statue has it change to a different statue. So basically, you're just like tricking the sniper into thinking that that other person is the spy.
0: Ah. So then,
1: So then as the sniper, if you know you're on that difficulty setting and they might go for that, that means if you see a statue change, it's either that person or the last person that touched that statue. And it it just—it gets—that's one objective, and I'm just giving you, like, a tiny vertical slice of the amount of shit that's in this game. There's tons and tons of different variations and rule sets and objectives and maps. It's never-ending, the amount of depth that's in this game. Just mastering one of those is hundreds of games. Or dozens, at least. And the top players of, of this game have literally put in thousands and thousands and thousands of games. Um... I'm so going to be so bad at this game. I
2: am <laughs> well, not that, convincing at all.
1: <laughs> well, that's why it's it recommended you start on those easier difficulties where it's like, yeah, you you and the sniper know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And you're just trying to get them done. And you're learning as the spy just learning how to move like the AI do. Like there's markers on the ground that only the the only the spy can see, but they show you where conversation circles are. They show you where people will stop to look at portraits or to stop and look at the statues. Um, And the AI will never stop outside of those areas. So if you ever see someone walking around, they just stop in the middle of the room, that's the spy. Um, Also, the AI never change their mind. They'll be like, I'm staying in one place. I'm going to walk over here. And then they do. They never walk halfway and then turn around and go somewhere else. So as you play, you learn these little things about, oh, as a spy, you need, to, you need to move with purpose. You need to go. Okay, I'm going over to uh, the bush over there. I'm just gonna walk in a straight line and get there, or I'm gonna like walk around this guy. Like, it's it's on the easiest levels, it is overwhelming. But you learn very quickly. Like, oh, okay, like I'm just trying to do these things. I need to do this, and it's once you climb up, and you really should only climb up that staircase or that ladder as you're really comfortable. Uh, Because if you just dive into the experienced section, as it's called, you're just going to be like, I don't know. Um, But once you get comfortable and get to that level, it is just, oh, it's so good.
0: It's like a meta level beyond what I can imagine, really.
1: It's a huge meta level, especially if you're playing it. Because ideally you're playing against the same person. um, Because if you play a lot with the same person and you sort of improve with each other, you learn how the other person plays. And there's so many ways you're metagaming each other and, like, trying to think about, like, okay, well, he knows that I am really good at spotting the statues. <laughs> so he's so it's like, I'm the spy, and, and the guy's playing the sniper. He's really good at spotting the statues, so I shouldn't go for the statues. But he's probably going to think that and not watch the statues that closely. So maybe I should go for the statues. Like, you start getting into this kind of layer of... Like reverse reverse psychology, <laughs> and then if you're in a call with them, if it's a friend of yours, then you're just talking shit the whole time. Like, yeah, of course. It's like, oh, is that you? Are you are you checking your watch? Oh, what's the time? You're like, yeah, no, I'm. That's me. You should shoot. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> it's. I haven't played very much against just random people online, um. But the experience of playing it with someone you know and being at the same difficulty level, being at the same level experience as yeah, yeah. them, is just. Such a rewarding experience. I can imagine, he, like,
0: oh, there's a game called The Ship. I don't know if you've ever played that. that I've has like,
1: never played it, but I, I wanted to for a very long time. Yeah,
0: The the Ship is, like, one of my favorite experiences with, a like, asynchronous multi- multiplayer stuff. Where you're trying to achieve stuff, and, like, one person is trying to find out who is, like, killing people. And you're trying to murder people on a boat while also escaping capture it. It's so much fun. And then when you play, like, multiple rounds with the same people, you know what they're gonna do, or you you kinda have Mm -hmm. a sense of their behavior and it makes it all the more not challenging, but definitely more rewarding if you are successful.
1: Yeah. It it elevates the experience beyond the game itself. Yes. And it starts to encapsulate the players playing the game as well, which not a lot of multiplayer games get into that headspace. Um like, like 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 Overwatch, there's a big A big part of the game that most people just kind of ignore is counterpicking where, oh, they they have a very DPS heavy composition. So we should pick these kinds of characters to counter them. A lot of people just go, no, I'm just going to play my favorite character. But ideally, you're changing your strategy to sort of match what they're showing you. But it's very much literal, like you're seeing what they're doing and you're responding. You're not thinking, well, they're probably thinking we're going to do this, so we should probably do this. But they're thinking but we're thinking they're going to do that. Maybe they maybe they get to there on like the esports level, but like your average pickup game doesn't yeah. really get into that into that headspace. But it is one um, of those
0: as well. With games like this, it's more about like learning. Like even if you get better responsively, uh, it you know at team death matches and you get better at shooting or your aiming gets better and stuff like that, it's kind of not the same. It's not like meta level mind thinking that these kind of games can bring out where you're like. You're double questioning yourself on having learnt player behavior. And you're like, Mm -hmm. I know he usually or she usually does this. Are they going to do it this time? Uh, Which order are they going to do it? And that is like a level beyond, as you said, the game itself and beyond, you know, more traditional multiplayer stuff, which makes it so much more exciting.
1: Like, so the the Spy Party has this very diverse cast of characters, which is... Not the focus of the game, but it's another, like, really strong point and something that I love about it is that, like, it's a very non-traditional. Like, it's something that Chris Hecker's talked about where in a lot of games you have characters that are, like, jumping around and you got, like, Nathan Drake, like, jumping off of trains and being very physical. And you have a very sort of certain type of designed character that fits where it's believable that they could perform these, these superhuman feats. But Spy Party is people at a party. So you have various types of of um, body types. Um, You have like there's a pair of twins. There's a guy in a wheelchair. There's very (laughs) different races represented. Um, It's really really diverse. And so, and there's not and because of the kind of game it is, it's not like you have like a gameplay advantage of well, I say that but. The, the the wheelchair the guy in the wheelchair being lower to the ground actually kind of came into play in a game. So I was th- gonna those, say those is things... that like
0: playing hard mode for one of the what was that? Is that there kind of out. like is that kind of like playing hard mode?
1: It, well, it is and it isn't because like so I, I played a lot of I, I was streaming a lot of Spy Party when when it came out on Steam and I was playing a lot of games with um a speedrunner Bubbles del Fuego. And he was picking the guy in the wheelchair over and over. And that also turned into a sort of metagaming layer of of like, there's no way he's picking wheelchair guy for the fifth (laughs) time in a row, is there? (laughs) Oh oh no, he went there. And like and like we would start games where like before it's like the game starts and you have like a moment to sort of get adjusted because there's a lot going on. Um and it's like, okay, now I'm gonna start paying attention to things and and take inventory of what's going on. Yeah. And I, we would load up games, and I would just shoot the guy in the wheelchair. And, like, it was just, it got really stupid. Um, and then sometimes it was him, and he's just like, damn it. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's like even if there was a built-in advantage to playing a character, that becomes part of the game. It's not, yeah. oh, you pick them, you get an advantage. It's like, no, that might be a disadvantage because now you're getting more attention from the sniper because they're looking at this character more closely, which could play to your advantage because then you're like, oh, well, I'm going to be you know, the, the lady that looks like Queen Elizabeth. I'm just going to be this old lady um, and just be very unassuming.
0: Okay, so uh, we have to have some sort of like uh, Kingsman training montage where you are Colin Firth's oldest spy character and I'm uh, <laughs> Taron Egerton's like Eggsy character and you have to train me to be like this super spy sniper character mm-hmm. in a short period of time while we play the game.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a game that you can learn from someone more experienced. Yeah. And I'd be I'd be happy to play games with you, but I will say ideally you're picking it up at the same time as someone else and you're playing games would be a
0: better experience. But yeah, I, I could play with you and get good and then pretend to my friends that I was starting <laughs> at the same time and then just be automatically good.
1: Right. That's that's true. And, and one of the amazing features of, of Spy Party is, at the end of every game, it shows you uh, there's an optional result screen. If you want, you can be like, no, we're going again. You just like play again. There's a result screen that shows a timeline, literally saying, like, at 15 seconds, the, the spy picked up this item. Um, and next to it is a screen. It's a window that has a the entire game running as a replay. And there's a timeline you can scroll through and you can actually move the camera. around. you can see from the spies perspective, you see from the snipers, like actually like wow. their mouse movements or a free, a free floating 3D camera. If you want to go wherever you what? want,
0: that's crazy and you can, for
1: every single game. You can replay and you'd be like, oh, at what point it's like, oh, I missed you bugging the ambassador. When that happened, you can check in the timeline. You can see it highlighted. You can click on it. It will skip to that point of the video. You can zoom in and see the spies perspective, see your perspective and be like, oh, shit that pillar was blocking me when you did that. That was so sneaky. You can, it like, it rewards you caring about the game and wanting to get that much better. like, this tiny little thing I messed up and the sniper saw that. And I want to see from their perspective, how it looked. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so good. So,
0: yeah. Oh, I really want to play it. It sounds right up my street. The kind of game I would love to play. I love this kind of meta level, asymmetric multiplayer where you're pitting yourself against other players. But, you're going to a deserted island, though. Are you going to be okay playing with bots or randos online? Are you going to be okay with that?
1: Yeah. I I mean, again, like, ideally you're playing with someone. But you could play with the same random person online over and over.
0: Um, hey, th- but... that sounds okay, then. It sounds like it's not negatively hampering your experience of the game. It does sound like it's better if you know the person and, you know, you play lots and lots of rounds of them or, or you get to play multiple times with them. But... It sounds like the game is good enough to carry its own, even in this kind of situation where, yeah, you're, you're gonna have to play with randos or bots.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, but I, I think the game is strong enough that even in that situation, because again, as long like the bots are like, well, it it depends on, you know, theoretically you would have a lot of options for the bots. I don't know what's in the game because I didn't mess with it. Um, yeah. But ideally, you should be able to be like, yeah, like I want to have more aggressive bots or or, or something like that. you want to change their personality maybe. But if you're playing with a random person online, like again, you would ideally be able to play with them over and over. Cause it it's almost like, you know, if you play rock, paper, scissors against someone, the first time you play, it's completely random. But yeah. then if you play a couple hands, you're like, oh, they like playing rock or oh they like playing scissors. They never play paper. And then you start to factor that in. It's it's that's like the simplified version of spy party. Where like the very first time is just kind of like, oh, you're just like seeing how they are, I guess. But it's with the repetition of playing multiple times because you can play over and over on the exact same map with the exact same objectives and have a different experience every time. And that's why this game is so infinitely replayable, because the basic most simplified version is amazing. And then you can go, oh, we're going to go to this different map, which has three times the number of people at the party and way more objectives. And way more difficult objectives for the for the spy. Um, oh, so I really It's just, it's play. just bottomless. Oh, it's okay. bottomless. Oh god, so I really want to
0: play. I really want to play this. This is something I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to check out and definitely figure out. I I've wanted to play this game for a while, and this has de- definitely convinced me. Well, we'll have to play it sometime, and I'll
1: just shoot you in the face over and over, and you are be like, what did
0: I do? What did I do? How? How is Barry, like, reading my mind? I mean, you... I
1: mean once, you, once you get good at it, if you play against new players, it's so obvious. When you first start playing, you're <laughs> like,
0: what is happening? I'm overwhelmed. And yet, but after a couple hours, you're like, oh. And, yeah, I'm sat here in my head thinking, I can outsmart him. I can do this. I can do this. And I know I'm just going to get shot every time.
1: But that's the thing is, even as a complete noob, you would probably win some games over me. Absolutely. Not even probably. You would definitely win some games. Um, But as we got closer in skill, it would get closer to 50-50.
0: Okay. I was going to say, I'll take those victories to the bank. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But Barry, we're going to have to move on because we've got three huge games left still to talk about. And all three of them I have played which means I don't need too much much convincing to play them. (laughs) Although, I would like to play some of them again. I'm very interested in uh, one that's coming up, but before that, we have to get into one of the best Western RPGs of all time, I believe. Uh, Truly a huge, wildly expansive project that a small Polish studio started a couple of years ago, back in 2011, I think. And... This game was in development for almost four years and it really shows because it's huge and brilliant and wonderful and has some great music too. So why don't we listen to some of that music and then let's dive into Barry's next game. Jumping into this big, huge next game on Barry's list from a small but now huge Polish studio uh, called CD Projekt Red. I think everyone knows what this game is. I don't think it needs that much of an introduction. It was a game that came out in May of 2015. It released for the PC, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. It has had two wonderful expansions to it, and soon we're going to see the fruits of the next work in Cyberpunk 2077. But before that, Barry, soon. you're going to be soon quote soon <laughs> <laughs> it'd be nice if we could see the gameplay demos all the uh, all the press oh, are seeing no. uh, e3 and games oh, right no. now it'd be nice if we could see that the normal so cruel. people so cruel teasing us plebs show the plebs show the show the plebeians show us <laughs> but before that we can we can revel in geralt's i guess final adventure Geralt of ruby is the witcher 3 wild hunt barry I can come up with 100,000 reasons as to why to take this game, but why are you taking it?
1: Uh, So, here's the thing. I, I, I can only assume that this game has been on this podcast in the past. Hi-hi, um, yes. I think my reasoning might be a little bit different than most, because I have never
0: played The Witcher 3. I knew it. I knew that's what you were going to say. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Uh, was it that <laughs> obvious? No, it's. Uh, I'll be honest. I didn't think it was the kind of game you'd be interested in. Hmm. So, well, so why does it, why is it that you're this? I I like I always like when a guest does this because these eight spots are precious. You've had to cut down. I imagine quite a large list to get to here. What always mm-hmm. fascinates me about this is people like to take risks. So. Why are you taking a risk on a precious spot? But also why specifically The Witcher 3? What is it about The Witcher 3 that entices you to take the risk? Cause you might hate it.
1: That's totally plausible. I mean, so I I obviously I've heard a million billion things about the Witcher series and especially three. Um and yeah, there were a couple other options that I I, I considered for this slot. Um there's a lot of big Western RPGs and big JRPGs as well that I just have never played uh, for one reason or another. Usually the reason being that they're just gargantuan and I only have so many hours in the day and I'd more likely pick up an indie game I can beat in four hours than one of these Western RPGs. Because like, I haven't played any of the Elder Scrolls games. Um, I haven't played most of the Fallouts, especially like the, talking about the newer... Bethesda Fallout's, 3, New Vegas 4. Okay. Um, So any of those could have also gone in this spot in terms of a a giant Western RPG that I have not gotten around to. But I think I chose The Witcher 3 because I think a couple reasons. Primarily, from what I've seen, the combat feels a lot more engaging and and visceral to me than some of the Bethesda games I was talking about.
0: It's weird because... One of the biggest complaints people have had for The Witcher 3 is the combat, and I just don't get that. I don't know why people don't like it. I,
1: I don't either, because I haven't played it.
0: <laughs> but yeah, from,
1: from what I've seen, it, it, it seems... Maybe it's just more like it looks a lot better than it feels. Um, but it looks solid. It looks like there's a lot of depth to it. I'm just... I'm not as into the way uh, Bethesda handles their... I mean, I know you can go third person, but it's like first person, like, you got your spells in your hand. Like... I don't know, like I, I for me it really that I like I love Bioshock, and I think they do a very similar kind of like here's your hands doing stuff in front of you, um, but for whatever reason from watching Bethesda's RPGs, it, like that's not what makes me want to play those games. It's, it's not the combat, it's the world and the exploration and watching points go up in different screens. Um, but the Witcher three it, it, it looks gorgeous. I think it's a visual design that would hold up for being on a desert island for many many years? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for sure. I think it's true of a lot of the games I've I've picked that they're they're not like I on the bleeding know. edge. Of, some of, of those
0: Bethesda games.
1: <laughs> well, I mean some of the other games on my list aren't, aren't like the most bleeding edge graphically impressive, but they all have distinct styles that I think Yeah, they're very up.
0: timeless. The Witcher 3 is more of just powerhouse graphically that I it's a kind of not photorealism but it's the kind of... It's like
1: a stylized
0: photorealist. Yeah, kind of yeah, exactly. It isn't Uncharted where it's like complete photorealism. No, it's... and,
1: and the, the, the human characters aren't like Uncanny Valley. They're nowhere near Uncanny yeah, Valley. No, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They're they're pretty distinctly stylized in a very convincing way. Uh, which, same as the Uncharted series, you know, like they're cartoon characters, but they trick you into thinking they're real people because they're really good at what they do. Yes. Um... If they looked like people, you'd be like, oh, no. What David Cage
0: game have I put up in my game, my console now? (laughs) Um, So tell me then, as someone who has played this game, what is it that you would expect to experience through this? What is it that you have heard through the grapevine about The Witcher 3 that is what appeals to you about taking it? I
1: think... Honestly, the biggest thing would be the side quests. I've heard so much about the optional content and just the the quality, the the high bar that that CD Projekt Red put into into that game, where there's tons and tons of optional things to do that have just like, yeah, it's fully voiced, fully acted, yeah. fully scripted. There's like yep. unique mechanics and and situations. It's not just like, oh, go kill fifteen boars. Like, I love a lot of open world games, but. I get very burnt out on them because a lot of the optional content is just it's optional it's it's frivolous it's a lot of cut and paste uh, or copy paste rather um and kind of forgettable and what i've heard about the witcher 3 and and it's true of a lot of the bethesda games i mentioned as well um that a lot of the optional content is very meaty and there's a lot to get into if you if you have the time and the patience which i absolutely would on a desert island i don't I think I have the time right now. Unfortunately, I still want to play The Witcher Three at some point. Just it's tough finding the time to yeah. sit down and, oh, and God, like yeah. it's, it's like cracking open a book that's like three feet across. Like <laughs> page page one. <laughs> Let's do this today. It's just it's 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 daunting. Um,
0: I, I can hundred like that would be. The reason I would say to play it the the side quests do contain some of the go kill 15 boars, pick me 15 yeah, flowers, I, but the sure. reasons as to why you have to like, if all you care of these, about picking those 15 flowers, yeah, they did their job. Like, the peasants, free people who want you to do stuff for them are so convincing and so wonderfully voice acted and mocap that you're like, oh, I have to help this dude find his daughter. And, then I have to mm-hmm. break the bad news to him that his daughter's dead and it was a wraith that killed her, and here's the wraith's head. And it's like, oh, this is so engaging and so, so not real, but immersive in ways that other side quests are not. You're right. It yeah. Does, it, it, it doesn't, sometimes it, in The Witchery, it doesn't really matter what you're doing for the side quest, it's more about why. Why you're doing it.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, it, it, that's and I've heard that the DLC was exceptional as well. Yes. Um.
0: Yeah. Blood and Wine and Hearts of Stone are fantastic. They are very, very good. Especially mm-hmm. Blood and Wine. Fantastic mm-hmm. DLC. I think. I mean, if you're gonna take any game, there are many, many great games to take out there blind and just to experience for the first time the joy of playing through them. The Witcher Three is definitely one of those I would recommend personally.
1: Yeah, and 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 I think on on the island that that I'd probably crack it open after like year two or three, you know, like give it some time to really yeah, you know, enjoy
2: enjoy what you
0: want to yeah. You'd be too tempted to be like, I'm just gonna go hunt monsters in a different way on monster hunter for the (laughs) fiftieth time, right? You'd be like, I I I I want something fresh. Keep me keep my mind engaged. Yeah,
1: because again, a lot of the games that I've I've picked are like, oh, I'll just pick it up and play it for a couple hours. Um, yeah but this is like no this is gonna be my month that's what this is uh <laughs> I, I don't know how replayable it is exactly um i know there's a lot of content in that it's game it's pretty
0: replayable like um i mean for anyone who has played the game i'm not going to spoil it for barry because that's the the whole reason he's taking it how dare but you? the how bloody dare you? baron quest is like everyone's go-to for mm-hmm. a good example of Early on in the game, the way that quest plays out and the way it can play out in many different ways can be quite shocking and wonderful and will make you want to replay it again. So there are many, many various options and decisions you have to make as Geralt in that game that make you want to replay through that section again. And I think that Mm. lends strongly to an RPG like this where sometimes it's so long and stuff that you just want to... You just want to finish it, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, and I mean, even if it's not the most replayable, I think, you know, being on an island for however many, maybe decades, it's like, yeah, just take a break, leave that alone for a, a couple of years, and then come back to it, and you know, it'll be somewhat fresh again.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I'm I'm looking forward to the day that you do play it. And then you can tell us all about how you hated it and it was the worst decision you ever made.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll play for five minutes and go, this sucks, and chuck it into the sea.
0: What is this combat? What is yeah. this? I don't know. I should have played I one don't and two. It. What am I doing? I don't get how people dislike that combat. Like, I don't I don't know. I don't know. That is something that's puzzled me for a while. I like the combat. I don't I don't know how people all, people are like, oh it's all so all cluttered and and clunky. I'm like, what? Are you kidding?
1: I'll have to play it and 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 come back and argue. Yeah, that's true. But well, maybe
0: agree with me and back me up. That'd be nice. Yeah. Please, Barry. I
1: mean, again, from what I've seen, having not been hands on, it looks it looks fun.
2: Yes, it's it not going to be.
1: It's not going to be God of War because that's not what the game is. It no, just needs it's to it's get, very do its job and give you something to care about and like upgrading your jams or getting new equipment. However, it works. I don't know.
0: It's. Yeah. It's a game to play for many reasons, and for some reason, people still gave this game like a nine out of ten, a ten out of ten, even without liking the combat. So that is a point in its favor, I think. Because then, if you like the combat and you like everything else, it's it, your your experience is even more amplified to be more positive, I guess. So I think you're making a, not a brave decision by taking it blind. I think I think it's a good decision. I think it, solid, solid bet a solid bet yeah a safe bet for a very safe bet and and that's the one thing about going to a deserted item where you have to choose games you've already played it's probably nice to have something that would feel like a brand new game
1: right yeah that and again like I, i was thinking of like oh i could bring like morrowind but again having no nostalgia for morrowind when i go and look it up i'm like oh this is not a looker so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to live with that for the rest of my life. I may be pissed off everyone listening to this, but shh,
0: shh, shh don't worry, don't worry. They'll forgive you. They'll forgive you. You hated Mario Galaxy, yeah. so I mean, yeah, yeah there's, it's, no, it's, there's nothing there's else. There's nothing here. good about it.
1: There's I. This, this is, is literally useless. That's what I said in the video. Exactly
0: but, right, and th- I mean, no
1: redeeming qualities whatsoever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of Mario Barry, mm-hmm. I mean. Hate Galaxy all you want, but you got some defending to do on the next choice. (laughs) I mean, some people are gonna be like, "This guy's crazy. How did he ever get a spot on Final Games? Look at this Mm -hmm. decision making."
1: That's what I'm saying, but I'm I'm (laughs) you you call the shots, not me.
0: I do, I do. That's true, and that's I'm intrigued to hear you uh, defend this one. I think this this game has been, if I if my memory serves me correct, which very rarely it does not. Um, this is chosen once before, and we had to ask the same question. Out of mm. all the Mario games, why this one?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And don't worry, everyone. It's uh, not Mario teaches typing, or Mario... What's, what's, oh. what's that NES? Uh, Super Nintendo time, time Machine? or Mario's... T- t- learning time experience thing <laughs> yeah it was i think
1: it was mario's time machine or maybe hotel mario that's a yeah, good one yeah
0: that's true yeah that really the one that charles martinet voiced for the first time it has the really weird what was the the one where you
1: can play go fish with mario yeah
0: yeah that one and he looks really drunk and weird oh, <laughs> creepy that's a weird creepy <laughs> pasta for another day. But let's mm-hmm. listen to some excellent music. I will admit that. Oh. This game has some incredible music. Some of oh, the, the best music. music for a 3D oh. Mario game. Love it. Absolutely love it. And let's listen. Let's dive straight into it. fighting tooth to nail for this choice. Barry has to defend the next game that was developed by Nintendo EAD, published by Nintendo, directed by the wonderful Yoshiaki Koizumi who everyone now knows is the face of the Switch, sort of stepping into the limelight and uh you know, showing everyone the wonderful HD Rumble and all those all those wonderful Nintendo like directs cubes. Yeah, putting some ice cubes in there. He's he's got a lovely smile. Um obviously produced by Miyamoto-san and uh Takeshi Tazuka. Composed wonderful music that you just heard by Koji Kondo. It's part of the uh, the 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 well-known Super Mario series. I don't know know if anyone knows about that. Uh, Released for the GameCube back in two thousand and
2: two.
0: Getting old. Getting old. Mm -hmm. To think two thousand and two was only six years after Super Mario sixty four, and the leap between Super Mario sixty four to this game. No matter what you think of this game is rather large because this game still looks beautiful and
1: it's you a- say only six years but that's a long time to not have a mainline mario game on that, a console
0: that is very true especially in light of today's feverish pace we had the pseudo luigi's mansion yeah, it
1: didn't Mario count. Game. Yeah, it didn't count. What What kid in 2001 was like, yep, this is the same as Mario 64 too?
0: <laughs> this is the launched Mario title <laughs> for the game. Where's
1: game. my Mario 128? <laughs> on, Miyamoto.
0: Oh yeah, the demo. I forgot about that. Yeah, with the pizza. But, uh, Barry, you've chosen yes. Super Mario Sunshine.
1: Oh my god. I'm a fool and all opinions I hold are invalid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like Super Mario Sunshine, but Hmm. it's one of the only Mario games I've not finished, Barry.
1: Hmm. Well, the ending is probably the worst part of the game. Yeah. So just leave it it alone.
0: It has some problems, Uh, and obviously... There's a lot of problems. I think people definitely are hyperbolic when it comes to this game's problems, because this game is still a very good game. It's just whether it's one of the better Mario games, I think, is the discussion.
2: Mm -hmm. But why is
0: it the game that you're taking with you. And you're a huge fan of Mario. I think you and me have very similar tastes in I like games. I like this Mario. Yeah, I yeah. think we have very similar tasting games. And Mario's is is one of the series that we both hold in high regard, especially from a game mm-hmm. design standpoint. Why is it that Sunshine is the one you're taking, though, out of every Mario game you could have?
1: I know. I mean, I, I do love uh, 2D Mario as well, but to me they're almost different games entirely. And... I what I love about the 2D Mario's is very different from what I love about the 3D Mario's, and I I think especially for the context of being on a deserted island, I gotta go with one of the 3D ones. It's just gonna be much more replayable. I don't have to choose a Mario for one of the final eight, but you know, I was, be, be you I was going, brainstorming. You going to? Right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, if I had to pick a Mario, which one would I would I pick? And honestly, the only other real, I mean, the contenders for this would have been 64 Sunshine and Odyssey for me. Because as I as I break down in my half hour long video about Galaxy, um, there's sort of two different categories of three D Mario's. There's course clear Mario's and sandbox exploration Mario's. Yeah. Sort of a rough translation. It's actually uh, sandbox gardens. That's not really a thing in the West. Um, but I I've always enjoyed the sandbox games more, um, and. I think a big part of that is the sort of replayability that comes with it and just getting the better sense of exploration and sort of learning a space and by their very nature, you have individual locations that are used multiple times, whereas in Course Clear, it's like building blocks put together to make different levels. So it's like, oh, these levels all belong in the cloud area, but they all have completely different layouts. It's not like, you don't feel like you're in a place. It's just, here's challenges
2: you're, you're in getting your way space. through. You're space,
0: yeah. It's not like a... It, dioramas is always kind of how I think about it. It's like a, a yeah. well-crafted diorama.
1: Yeah, and and again, I love 2D Marios, but it's a very different kind of feeling. Um, and so when it, when it comes to the 3D Marios, I think Sunshine takes it and... Again, I'm not going to deny that a big part of that is nostalgia. It's it's the same thing with Animal Crossing. And if anyone's paying attention, it's the same as the eighth game on the list. Uh, these are all GameCube games. And for me, I think the GameCube was the last console I had. I mean, that with the PS2, we had both of those uh, as kids. That was sort of the last console generation when I when I feel like I was still a kid and could still lose myself into these games without kind of being in my stupid adult head being like, you got adult things to think about. You can only have five hours to play five. Hours, that's a lot of time. You only have two hours to play and then you need to go to sleep so and get up early tomorrow and work. Um, whereas as a 12 year old being like, yeah, I'm going to play Mario Sunshine. It's like, well, this is my summer. Like that came out in the summer. It was a very summery game. And I just played the fucking ever loving shit out of that game. I played every, <laughs> every square inch of it. Um, so nostalgia is definitely a big part of it. And I do acknowledge Sunshine's not a perfect game. It has many flaws. Um, And there's a lot of signs that it was perhaps rushed a little bit to get out at a certain time. They might have cut some content. Um, It's a little bit weird how you sort of get to, I think it's the seventh shine in each area, and then that's how you unlock the final area. It's not sort of the same as a lot of other Marios where it's like you just get X many collectible thingies to progress. It's like, you have these weird... I don't know. There's just some weird rough edges. But on the one hand, I like rough edges. I think rough edges help remind me that people made these things. When things are perfectly smoothed out to be perfect, it's just... It's something feels a little bit too perfect about a game that's been refined to death, Um, which is maybe a bad way to justify liking a game. It's like, oh, I like it because it's bad. Um... I I would say I like it because
0: it does something different.
1: It's very, very different. Yeah. And there's a lot of core Mario platforming, especially in the little bonus areas where you don't have your little water jet pack with you. Um, And I really like a lot of the ways that the hover nozzle opens up the world to you. You can get into a lot of really weird places in a lot of really weird ways by doing triple jumps into a, a wall jump and then hover nozzling up into a place um it's something that i talk about briefly in, in my galaxy video that the extra water nozzles don't really get a lot of use the there's like the their propeller one and the rocket jump one Those yeah. are just kind of nah, use them like five times and you're done um, <laughs> but the hover nozzle is, is is very fun and is i think a like maybe the best solution nintendo has come up with for making 3d platforming more accessible um where, oh, you barely missed your jump. We'll just hold the trigger and now correct where you should go. Uh, you get a little bit of that with Cappy in Odyssey, where you can sort of throw your hat and bounce off it and sort of get a little bit of extra refinement before you plummet to where your your moment, momentum is carrying you. Um, but so I, I really like the, the hover nozzle. I think the, the cleaning mechanics work way better than they should. The idea on paper of, oh, you walk around a beautiful island and clean up graffiti sounds really boring but it's it's there's something very satisfying about going through and cleaning up the island and seeing the the impact of your efforts in a not not the best way you basically just over the course of the game get more sunshine in the main area um but that sense of progression is is really nice it's more so you can get in pretty much any other 3d mario other than just unlocking new sections of the castle in peach's castle or something yeah um but overall, though, I, I I really like the game's shines. They're very diverse. Um, some of them aren't that great, but I, I would say the majority of them are very fun and replayable. I enjoy replaying a lot of those shines. And they get a lot of flack, but I also enjoy a lot of the blue coins, which are sort of the secondary collectible in the game. And every certain number of them, you can trade them in for a new shine. Um, and... I think that's something that Mario 64 doesn't really have. There's, nothing, there's no real overarching collectible like the blue coins. Uh, Galaxy certainly doesn't have anything like that. And Odyssey just kind of goes a little bit too far with the moons, where it's it's almost like the Korok seeds in Breath of the Wild, where it's like, you're not meant to get every single one of these. You're meant to get the ones you see and then move on.
0: Yeah, um, I had this argue, I've had this argument on Dad and Sons, with george and matt multiple times who both dismay at the the too many moons and too many being too easy it should be more Mm -hmm. and more concentrated focus and it's like that's not the point yeah it's it's not the point
1: i i i think that odyssey could have used its own version of the blue coins um and it could have replaced a lot of the really easy moons where it's like you walk up you butt stomp you get a moon
2: Um, well like
0: multi like different colored moons that vary in difficulty would be Something like you would have, like, the the standard pink moon, which would be like the ones you can visually see if you just like do a 360 pan of where you're standing for most parts. You
1: like see a little sparkle and yeah, yeah, exactly. And And then
0: you would have like maybe like a gold color moon, which is like the ones that are more hidden, and maybe they count for like well, two pink moons or something like that.
1: I mean, basically, in in Odyssey, you have moons, occasionally, you get triple moons, which are more. They seem mostly just be like a, a callback to uh, Mario World. Where you yeah, like they don't seem any hotter
0: moon. or anything. I I never... No, even... it's like
1: after a boss, you, you, get, you yeah. get three moons. Um, but then you have the purple coins, which get which let you unlock some costumes and some stickers for your ship. Um, I think they could have just taken a lot of the purple coins or something like, like a different currency. Because the purple coins being in the world is a, a nice reward for exploring in and of itself. But... Like, a red coin, which, which, you know, you go to the toad shop, and there's things you can only buy with red coins, and it's like two red coins to get a thing. So, it's like, oh, like, it's not like the, the purple coins, where so there's 100 in each world. They're they're a little bit more valuable Yeah, so in between the purple coin and the moon. I think they could have taken something like that and put those in place of a lot of the, the repetitive simple moons. Because... Um, Again, the biggest problem is that because they're everywhere, you feel like you gotta get them all, and then you end up doing a lot of really repetitive, boring tasks. Yeah, there is yeah, there so is some much people high who... quality content in that game. It's a shame.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of people who can't ignore that. Sometimes I am one of those people I just can't ignore something sitting right in front of my face or a number not being complete, and I need to do it, and that can hamper the experience because you spend a lot of time getting bugged down and just jumping to things for hours getting easy things Mm -hmm. there doesn't seem to be a range of difficulty um but like with corex seeds that's like a completely different thing because i feel like they're a lot more hidden you stumble upon them they're not the focus of the game like moons are in odyssey like you have to get moons to progress because you need to put Mm -hmm. them into the ship to move to the next place whereas corex seeds are like you can get through that game with finding 10 of them and it won't.
1: Yeah, you're going to have a bad time, but it's yeah. totally doable. But it's yeah. totally
0: doable. And you will stumble across, if you just play the game normally, you'll stumble across at least like 90 to 100 of them easily. So mm-hmm. it is like a different way of thinking, I think, with Odyssey and its moons. And I like Odyssey a lot. I'll, I'll defend that game. But there are things I wish they did differently. And how many is it that Sunshine has? 120 shine sprites?
1: I think so. It's it's definitely around that same Mario 64 number. Yeah, and it's... But again, a of lot of those like are from the C- Blue Moon or Blue Coins. So yeah, the, yeah.
0: yeah, the Blue Coins is like taking it to the next level. That's like giving the player the challenge that if they choose to take it, then that's what, yeah, it's, that's what
1: they can it's, do. It's purely for completionists. You don't need a certain number of shines to unlock any part of the game. Yeah. Um, unless I'm remembering something wrong, which is entirely possible, but at least to finish the game, you just need to get the, the shadow Mario stage done in every yeah. level. Yeah. Um, and that unlocks the final kind of set piece that leads into the end of the game. Um, so getting the blue, bl- blue, coins in and of itself is just like independent of anything else. You, you, it's just like, Oh, you noticed something in the world and you interact with it almost like a Korok seed or a lot of these moons. It's like, there's a little thing you interact with it and it goes, Oh, you got a blue coin. Um, Good job. And then be, to give it more value, they go, okay, you can turn those into shines. But again, that doesn't matter. It just matters if you want to do all the things. It's it's not the best system, but I do like a lot of it. And it just it's a simple reward for paying attention as you're playing these levels. It's like, oh, I saw a piece of graffiti and I sprayed it and got a, a blue coin. Or there's ones where you find there's like two matching sets of of like two triangles and you spray one and then a blue coin appears at the other one. You got to race over to it real fast. Yeah. So it's a little platforming challenge. Um, And I really like that. I I think it's a much better solution than later Mario games have figured out for giving you more to do than just the pure objective you're there to accomplish. Cause that's the thing that Odyssey I think nailed was that even though there is a lot of repetition and a lot of very easy moons, you don't get kicked out of the level anymore. You basically are put into a world and, and you can run around and just, just get Just run around, jumping from
0: building to building, just scooping them up, hoovering them Ex- up.
1: It, yeah, it, so it is Luigi's Mansion. Luigi's Mansion,
2: <laughs> <and Mario laughs> Luigi's Mansion part three. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the true sequel. Um,
1: the true sequel we've been waiting for. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in, in Sunshine, you are kicked out of the level every time, but you, the stuff like the blue coins just kind of give you a reason to not just rush to the end. So does um,
0: does Sunshine's nostalgia push it as the choice instead of Odyssey? Cuz it sounds like you've got a lot of love for Odyssey. I'm definitely very nostalgic for
1: Sunshine and that is a big part of what pushes it over Odyssey. I think a big part of why I didn't choose Odyssey is that it's just so fresh in my mind. I don't know I don't know the kind of legs that experience has. I I really really enjoyed Odyssey. I it's one of my favorite games from last year. Um, but I need like a little bit more time to sort of like view it through that lens of like, here's a game I played in the past, Uh, not a game that's like still getting updated with little pieces of content. Um, and I think through that lens, I'll be able to go like, yeah, you know, like, even though there's a lot of, of stuff that, you know, if they make a Odyssey two, I think they have a really, really good framework to just be like, yeah, we're going to make more worlds and, you know maybe cut down a little bit on the excessive moon count. I
0: don't know why they got yeah, so obsessed. I, think, with- I don't I don't even think they need to do that. I think they just need to do what they did in the first place, which is have this uh, almost universal difficulty thing where you just get what you can get if mm-hmm. you're bad at the game and you can still progress. Or if you're a good player, then you can go for these crazily difficult moons. But I feel like you would need to differentiate them so the player knows how hard some things are or what the value is of them. Because if you get one moon that's standing right in front of you on a flagpole and it's super easy to get, compared to a moon that takes like the most acrobatic, crazy Mario-controlled jump to get, it's still only one moon. And I feel like that can be a part of some people's problems with Odyssey and how many moons it has and maybe why the value of getting one over the other is not worth it. Yeah,
1: I'm, I, I think one of the things that bothers me the most about Odyssey is the purchasable
0: moons. Yeah, I didn't like that either. I'm just like, you can get 999 moons, but why? Why when right. you, would you there, buy there's, them? Why? There's
1: 880 actual moons where it's like you have to at least like walk up and touch one. Yeah. And then there's like another 119, like or whatever, buy. math. You just buy them. It's like if you want to max it out, and like yes, the game acknowledges when you get nine and nine, there is something in the game that happens, um, but it's not worth it. No, <laughs> uh, I I I ended up getting all the eight hundred and eighty moons while I was playing through it, and a couple of those are actually awful. Uh, there's one in particular that I always tell people to not do, or at least to, so they're prepared, because yeah. it takes, I think, four minutes of nonstop shooting coins for it to trigger. And I'm like, this, this seems like a, a like a bad puzzle that John Blow would come up with, <laughs> where it's like you figured out what to do, and now you have to stand here for hours and wait. Wait. Yeah. Unless like I, uh, yeah, there's one there's one in the deep woods of the uh, the Steam Gardens, where once you figure out what to do, which is no, very much non obvious, um, I like I figured out. More or less, like okay, here's where the moon is. How do I trigger it? And I tried everything I could think of. And if you want, I can just spoil the entire thing because it's not like a big spoiler. Go ahead. Um, but
0: closure is now, if you can.
1: Yeah, I'll just talk for a little bit. Um, but basically, there's a a spot in the 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 dark part of the woods. It's all dark and spooky. Where there's a single little plant sprout, which is surrounded by a couple. Coins, you can't pick up. They're not the normal coins in the world you can walk into and pick up. They're like 3D models planted in the ground around it. Just to sort of say, like, this plant has coins around it. And you're like, okay, this is something weird, and it only exists here. So you try hitting it with your hat, because of course you do. It doesn't do anything. You try jumping into it. Try, like, running into it, butt-stomping. Nothing you do does anything. There's no feedback whatsoever. I ended up having to look it up, because I just could not figure it out for the life of me. Yeah. Turns out, um, there's an enemy that shows up a couple times throughout the game that's basically a living coin purse, and when you capture him, he creates a bunch of coins for a while, and if you attack with him, he spits out a coin, and it actually reduces your coin counter when you spit out coins with him. The main thing about the coin purse is that he's invisible until you get close to him. When you get close to him, you sort of get, like, a shimmering outline, so you can sort of, like, see him, and then you hit him with your hat and, and capture him, um... One shows up in the Sand Kingdom where you fight a boss. If you return to that area, there's there's a coin purse guy there, uh, which I think is like maybe the first one in the game you can get to. So there's one in the woods, but it's a decent walk away from where the plant is. And he need I remind you, he's invisible. So you have to. And I had spent a, lot of, yeah. a lot of time in this forest. Yeah. I'd spent a lot of time there and never knew this guy was down there because you have to be kind of close and paying attention to to see him. Uh, so you walk over, you hit him with your hat. You have to waddle, because he's slow. You have to waddle all the way over back to where that coin thing was. And then you have to shoot him with, I think, 400 coins. You have to sh- shoot the plant with 400 coins. Oh, my God. Before it... Before it fo- and it does react very quickly. Like, after, I think, maybe a dozen or so, it starts to grow. But it grows into a giant stalk. And then finally grows, a, like, a flower bud. And then sprouts into a, a moon. And it's about, like, three to four minutes of just holding a button... And if you don't have enough coins, you have to leave and grind coins and come back. So that's the worst moon in Mario <laughs> <laughs> By far. It's just, it's everything that every wrong decision you could make.
2: And when you have 999 like the just,
1: of them
0: to get, stuff like that is uh, just counterproductive.
1: Yeah. Well, the that's play. the kind of moon that if you happen to figure out what it needed... You could just be like, nah, I'm good, and just walk away. But if you're doing that, Moon, it's because you're 100%ing it. It's 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 almost like the Korok seeds rewarding you with poop if you get them all. It's just the game going like, why'd you do this? Yeah, uh, it's
0: weird. We're trying because, to
1: actively dissuade you from playing the game this way.
0: Yeah, and stuff like that is weird to me because as someone who sort of kind of, in a way, understands how video games are made and what is involved to do stuff like that, pl- like placing a 3D object... In a world that has a script that when Mary touches it, the counter for the moons goes up. It's a lot easier than scripting all of this stuff to happen in order for the player to see. So stuff like that moon took more time to make, like more dev work. And yeah, yeah. It still didn't really turn out very well. I would
1: have rather it just be a thing you ground pound, then you walk away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a
0: little weird, a little strange decision you know you're making.
1: You know what game doesn't waste your time unnecessarily? Sunshine. Mario Sunshine. That's my case. I rest my case. Fair enough.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Luckily, you're not taking Odyssey. You're taking Mario Sunshine. And you can take it with you. Uh, And sticking with the Nintendo beach water sunshine theme, I think it's about time we talk about the final game on your list, Barry. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who uh, knows... Nintendo and knows water knows exactly what's coming next. Lots and lots of water. Some might say IGN would give it 70% water.
1: <laughs> the human body is
0: 70% water. That's that's very true. Too much water, Barry. <laughs> Too much water. Too much water. Um, But traveling the water in this next game is a beautiful and wonderful experience that Still in my head, I envision as the most peaceful and serene thing you can do in video games. So let's listen to some fantastic music from this next game. Some of the best in the entire series, in my opinion. And let's, of course, dive right into Barry's final game. coming in then to Barry's final game and it I feel like it's the GameCube companion piece to Sunshine. They have very right? similar not artistic themes but definitely themes. There, there is a there is something that inside the Kyoto studio that sort of traveled from one side of the office to the other and they were like, "Hey, that looks good. Hey, how about uh, how about we do this with water and stuff like that too?" Um mm-hmm having completely unveiled this brand new art style back, uh, I think it was Space World 99, um, where we went from Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask to, to this next game and this wonderful cel-shaded artwork that people despised in the beginning. Mm-hmm. People hated this. That but was now, one of them. Uh, that, I know, and now I can't imagine anyone arguing that this game looks bad because it is gorgeous. It was developed by Nintendo EAD and published, of course, by Nintendo themselves, directed by the wonderfully cute and fantastic man that is Eiji Alnuma, produced by Miyamoto and Tezuka-san. It's the series The Legend of Zelda, released for the GameCube and released in 2002 in Japan and a little later in 2003 in North America and Europe. It is, of course, The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Mary, first off, Which one are you taking, the HD version or the original GameCube version?
1: I went back and forth on this for quite a while, but I think I'm going with the original.
0: Wow, Triforce Quests in full. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. Brave man, brave man. Well, I need something to fill the hours on this (laughs) island, right? (laughs) That's true. That'll do the trick.
0: That's very true. So Barry, out of all the Mario games you took Sunshine... But why out of all mm-hmm. the Zelda games uh, are you taking the Wind Waker?
1: It was a similar sort of thought process is what led me to Sunshine, where I wouldn't necessarily say it's my favorite Zelda, but I think it's the one that I could replay the most and just live with the most. Um, I think it's it definitely has a massive world that is mostly water. Um there's not really anything meaningful to do in between the islands. They, they tried. You got to give them some credit. But, um, you know, like, I I think a lot of my other favorite Zeldas would be like Majora's Mask, uh, Breath of the Wild, and Link Between Worlds. But among those, I don't... Breath of the Wild is definitely... Definitely has more stuff in it. But I think Wind Waker is more meaningful content in it. Okay, okay where Breath of the Wild kind of rewards you constantly for going over a hill and seeing something and interacting with that thing. Um,
0: Very much the Odyssey Sunshine comparison.
1: Yeah, it, it is kind of similar, where it's like there's more stuff, but I think I value less stuff of higher quality. And that's not to say Wind Waker is, you know, perfect, high quality everywhere. There's plenty of islands that are just like, Here's another island that looks like a dice side, or a die side, and it just has some things to blow up. Um, there's plenty of stuff like that, but generally speaking, I'd rather an island like that than, like, the 50th time I've found the same Korok. Um, I do love the Koroks, and I love the Korok system, but if I had to choose, I would, I'd I would probably choose the islands over something like that. Or, like, the yeah. treasure charts, yeah. I guess, might be the other kind of equivalent Um and again, like, with the other GameCube games on the list, it's definitely one that I'm very nostalgic for. Um, so much so that I, I'm in the camp of disliking some of the graphical changes they made to Wind Waker HD, which, it's strange, because I remember the first time I saw Wind Waker HD, it just looked like how I always pictured it in my head. Yeah,
0: yeah, it is weird. It's like they took what everyone remembers Wind Waker looking like, and it's like, hey, here you go. And are like, oh, yeah. It just looks like normal. Wait a second.
1: Yeah, it's only really when you put the two side by side where are like, no, like, Wind Waker had a very deliberate cell shading look to it. Yeah. It was very flat. It was a lot of very flat, solid colors, and Wind Waker HD softened all of that. And at first blush, it looks really good. That's kind of the problem with a lot of HC remasters. They kind of overdo it to be like, look how good it is. Please buy it again. Um I'm not claiming that's necessarily what Nintendo did, because I, I do think Wind Waker HD looks really, really good. Um, but I still prefer the flat, solid colors of the original. Um, and, you know, the the changes they made between the original and HD, I, I think, aren't too significant to me. Um, okay. Because, yeah, yeah, like, the main thing is is they drastically reduced the, the, the Triforce Sharm the Quest, which, yeah. thank God they did, because that every time I tried to replay Wind Waker after I first did, I would get to that quest and then put it down and be like, nah, I'm good. I I, I don't want to do this for the next three days. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that they they were aware of that when they were remaking it. And also they added the, the upgraded sail where you sail faster and you don't have to redirect the wind. It was just a just a big quality of life change. But again, like... It, once you get to that point of the game, I, I feel like you're in a rhythm where you're like, you open up your, your map, you're like, where do I want to go? Let me point the wind in that direction and head over there or maybe use a uh, tornado or whatever to, to get closer to my destination first and the upgraded sale is a really nice quality of life change but it's not like, I need the HD version for that sale. It's just, it, it's nice. It's weird
0: because I can't imagine playing it without that being cut down now. Like, it's just, I w- <clears> hmm. <throat> It's like I wouldn't choose Wind Waker if it wasn't that. Like, I don't think I could do it again. I'd be like, oh, why did I choose this? I don't want to go through this again. I'd rather... I, I don't know if I could replay it without it being trimmed down now. So I am surprised that you yeah, would want- take the original. I mean,
1: again, it's it It's a lot of just nostalgia driving that decision. Obviously, if I, if I had HD instead of the original, I'd be A-okay. It's still the same game. Um... It's mostly a graphical preference for the originals aesthetic. Um, it's it's like it's like on the one hand is the the graphics on the other hand is the quality of life changes and it's like well, for me the quality of it's not like Monster Hunter World where it's like oh oh the game's playable now oh thank you so much developers it's it's much more subtle like here's some things that just kind of make your life a little bit better, um, so yeah but I mean it's it's a it's a great game it's got a big old world with stuff to do in it and as I said it's got a lot of side content that is largely solid there's a lot of stuff that's just like oh here's a a, t- a tower in the sea with a bacoblin on top oh okay like there's a lot of that um but but overall it's like yeah like the islands are very satisfying filling filling in your whole chart there's a lot of side quests that i've never done because they're tedious there's a big trading side quest where you're kind of finding a thing and then giving it to a different merchant who gives you a thing that you give to a different merchant and that takes forever um there's a side quest with the water from the korok forest where you have to help all the korok kids with their because they're all dried up but they need special water and there's a time limit and i've never done that because i was like i don't want to do that that sounds tedious but (laughs) if i have lots of time tedious isn't really an issue.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm, liking this that positive
0: that act, I'm liking this positive attitude. This You've thrown around the word tedious quite a lot, yet you're still using it in a good context. Okay, like, yeah, hey, I, mean, I got a lot of I'm time.
1: All, I mean, I'm living on Outside Island also, so it's only fair. Um, That's true. That's very true. But, I mean, also, like, a little bit of tedium is not a bad thing. Uh, it, I think it's a very, very fine line, but... You know, just being able to kind of zone out and go through the motions is a positive thing with games. Um, Very It's much usually so, yeah. it's usually something that I point out and go, "That's bad." Every second needs to be high quality produced content. Um, but Flow over over time, time I've I've, I've yes, but over time, I've I've gotten more comfortable with the idea of like you know, like sometimes you've had a long day at work or surviving on a desert island, and you just want to turn on a game and just kind of zone out. And just let your hands do the thinking for you, and sailing around in Wind Waker and delivering water to Koroks maybe is what I'll want after year fifteen of being on an island. <laughs> Whereas getting every Korok seed, I don't know, I don't know how much time I'd n- need on an island to go through that, especially without a guide to
0: help me keep track. You of You would all need the Korok three lifetimes on on outside <laughs> island to be able to do the Korok seed stuff. Have you played uh you know the Phantom Hourglass and the uh, and uh yeah. Spirit Tracks the sequels? How how did you feel about those games in comparison to the Wind Waker as direct sequels?
1: I mean it's funny cuz I don't really even think of Phantom Hourglass as being a direct sequel even though it is. It's literally the same link, which is pretty rare for Zeldas. Yes, super. Um, rare. But it it controlled very very different. It felt very very different. Yeah. You know, you're you're not directly controlling your sailing, you're drawing a path, and then your boat is following it, and you're kind of doing stuff while you're on that path. Um, and then with Spirit Tracks, you're just like, I want to go north, and then you just sort of do stuff on the way. Um, and it's, it's more like a traditional 2D Zelda in a lot of its dungeon design and stuff, because that's maybe one of the weakest points of Wind Waker, is that it only really has, like, four or five dungeons. It's pretty low on the dungeon count, which... <laughs> is usually a negative. I mean, also, Majora's Mask, which is another one of my favorite Zeldas, only has four real dungeons. Um,
0: I
2: mean, you get to Breath of the like Wild Ocarina doesn't have any, or... so... <laughs> it,
0: it's got the, the,
1: the, the Divine Beasts, which... it, it
0: does, but in terms of traditional Zelda dungeons, I...
1: They're, they're basically super shrines within the context of that game. They don't feel very distinct. Ultimately, I do enjoy the Divine Beasts. I know they get a lot of flack for not being traditional Zelda dungeons. But, I I still enjoyed them. I just it doesn't they they didn't scratch the same itch, which is why I think a lot of people complain about. But yeah. yeah,
2: I
0: it's weird when I think about replaying the Wind Waker and when I think about stuff like the Karak Seeds, It doesn't make me realize that Zelda has a lot of mundane bullshit in it sometimes. Even like talking about oh, yeah. Phantom Glass and what was it, the Temple of the the Sand... Oh, yeah was like the Ocean King. The Ocean King, that was it. Oh my yeah. god. Oh, I like yeah. Phantom of a lot, and I have good memories of that game, but Temple yeah. of the Ocean King, oh my Jesus Christ.
1: It's a stressful dungeon that you play over and over. What could go wrong?
0: <laughs> With a time and limit. Everyone... Oh. Yeah.
1: And everyone plays Zelda games solely for the combat, so let's make a dungeon where all you do is like hide and run around, and there's no puzzles.
0: Well, there are a couple puzzles. There was a couple, but not yeah. nothing as substantially there Zelda, there's that
1: one puzzle that everyone remembers where you have to close your DS. That's that's yep. the one puzzle from yep. the Ocean Temple. That everyone's like, oh, that puzzle. Yeah.
0: I, <laughs> really, I, I remember that. That's the one that sticks out to me the most, of course. And that's that one was like a you know, you have also read Game Feel by Steve Swink, which is a great book. Everyone should read. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Yes. Um but he mentions that puzzle specifically in uh, Game Feel as well and I remember just the exact feeling of what he had when mm-hmm. I was I, it was like three days as a 15 year old 16 year old kid being like how the fuck do I do this
1: and then you just close it and walk I, away and come back and it's solved itself Yeah, because if I, you don't put it together you're like
2: <laughs>
0: why did, Why is it
1: solved now <laughs> <laughs> for anyone, who I, I know, guess I'm just a super genius because I. Yeah. Maybe I had it spoiled for me. I honestly don't remember, but I I remember not having difficulty at that part.
0: I um, I because I never used to close my 3ds, that uh, my DS oh. I used to just charge. You would it just open. like plug it in. Yeah, just plug it oh. in. So for like three days, and I think I had to ask a friend. For anyone to know, there's this puzzle where you have to put like you have to stamp like a letter or something, and and the way it does it is you have to fold the 3ds you have to close it so the stamp stamps the bottom screen it's in in relative terms it's fucking genius it's so smart but but there's nothing else in the game that would teach does, you that yeah. that's a mechanic it never and they uses don't
1: explicitly it tell you what to do it's just like you gotta get it from the top screen to the bottom screen you're like the touch screen doesn't do anything what do i do and it's just like yeah, yeah you gotta get it on the bottom screen
0: it, yeah. yeah it's, it's weird <laughs> and it is an imaginative way of doing it it's just it's only used once it's 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 a very nintendo idea it yeah just it's well super nintendo yeah it's like a weird warioware style yeah minigame yeah. almost but it's never used again i think it was
1: but I, if it was in wario it would be like oh here's a category of games that all involve closing the, the screen yeah or like exactly, manipulating right? the hardware yeah. so you're already thinking in that headspace yeah it's yeah but there's yeah, like, a lot of I, weird I,
0: stuff in it like across do, the whole that, series Weird I think that's stuff why that...
1: there's nothing really like them, is that there's all this quirky stuff in them. Very, very true. You know? very, like very in true. Wind Waker, you have Tingle's weird slave trade thing, which is fun. <laughs> I don't know what his racket is that he's running, but it's something. <laughs> it's in there. Mermaids.
0: Mermaids from the sea. Mermaids. Mermaids. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he needs a lot of rupees to fund his mermaid business.
0: Or <laughs> it's mermaid trafficking. Mm-hmm. Barry, I think... I think that's it. I think it's about time that we we, we push you out of the battle bus. The, the hatch is opening.
1: Oh, my God. I'm so ready. Are you? I'm so ready to not have cell service. And internet in general. And no internet. My God. No one can, so no can
0: argue with you about your opinions on Mario Galaxy or video games. I think I would it
1: a lot after a couple days and then be like, oh, I have this sense of inner peace. Yeah. Some... Where have has this been my whole life?
0: Is this what Nirvana is? Uh, have
1: I... <laughs> I'm i going to achieve enlightenment just not having internet for a couple days. I'm like, all right, pick me up. I'm ready. I'm ready to come back to civilization. I'm oh. like, I'm
0: sorry, Barry. You have to complete the Wind Waker Triforce quest. It might take you another year. You have to 100% The Witcher 3. See you in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> but Barry, before you jump, don't jump yet. Mm-hmm. Just don't jump yet.
1: I, I'm poised... Poison ready. ready.
0: Like Tom Cruise, the Mission Impossible. Ready to just do any stunt.
1: I was just, thinking Malgusod 3 because that's on my list. Oh yeah, the Halo, the Halo Halo jump. jump. The Halo Jump. Yeah. 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 Just like that. Just with More like Fortnite that. references.
0: <laughs> Stick with the theme. I like it. <laughs> but Barry, there is one last question I have to ask you before I ask every guest. Before they leave via whatever means to the island, to the place they stay. Uh, and that's, we talk a lot about games on Final Games. But, you know, one of the most important ways to play games is to experience them through the consoles. You know, we spoke at great length at the start of this episode about, you know, the Nintendo 64, the Super Nintendo, the NES and the Game Boy because of our fond memories of those consoles. Mm-hmm. But if you could only take one console with you, bearing in mind the back catalogue, you also get your eight games. So don't worry about that. But if you could only take one console with you to play on the deserted island of outside island for the rest of your days, what console would you take with you? You said
1: you said it would come with the backlog for that console. Yeah, so imagine if the
0: ba- imagine if it was like a classic version of this console and it had all of the games installed on it. I mean, when you're going to be trapped on a deserted island, I guess the back catalog is not that extensive. We play thousands and thousands of games every couple of years, mm-hmm. so but if oh, so man. I I guess it's not really so much about the 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 quantity of the back catalog. It could be the quality, but it, that's entirely your decision. mm
2: mm-hmm. Mhm
0: cuz i
1: mean if it was just the console it would be the switch no brainer cuz the switch is just the best it it, it, it gives you the this is going to sound like a guy like i'm reading off of a marketing sheet but it's like it gives you the the sitting on a couch <laughs> experience it gives you the portable experience uh you can play with the little joy-con in your hand just like plop your hands down at your sides and play a game or you have like a traditional controller experience with the pro so it's just like everything combined into one device, and I adore my Switch, and I want every game ever on the Switch. Me but too.
0: I agree so much.
1: <laughs> I I think if I had to bring one console for its backlog, it, which is weird because I know we spent a lot of time talking about Nintendo games, and especially the GameCube, I think I'd pick
0: a PlayStation 2. Because of I the think... back catalog, or because I, of... Yeah,
1: the back catalog. There's, I mean, the PS2 has an obscene number of games, but... It also has an obscene number of really, really good games. A lot of games I didn't talk about because, you know, they're like games I would want to play once and then be like, I'm good. Yeah. Um, like for a while, one of my earlier drafts had um Katamari on my list. Okay. And I ultimately cut that because I was like, ah, I do love Katamari, but I think there's only so much Katamari I could get out of that game compared to some of the other titles I ended up going with. Um, you got the Your Saw 2 and 3 you got on there um lots and lots of series that i've never really delved into like sly cooper ratchet and clank um some of the jack and daxter which i did play yeah um, some
0: of the golden 3d platformers after the playstation one era lots of go- lots of the 3d platformers lots of genres lots of rpgs for sure dragon rpgs, RPGs. Yep. final fantasy 12 <laughs> 10 mm-hmm.
1: final fantasy 10 oh yeah you gotta have that titus laugh in there somewhere so, yeah, I think I think ultimately the PS2 is just the monster of a system.
0: Okay, well, you can take the PlayStation 2 with you, which helps, you know, stave off the insanity of the island for a little longer. Okay, now I'm
1: not worried at all. All right, cool. <laughs> eight games is like, ugh, that's tough. But it's like, yeah, I'll
0: just bring everything. I'll just bring, right bring everything. But you can take the yeah. PlayStation 2 with you. But most importantly, the eight games that you have handpicked and selected to take with you. Barry, it has been such a pleasure talking to you and listening to you honestly gush about these games it's been so much fun thank you so much for taking the time to do this it's been thank my thank you pleasure. so much for having me liam it's been it's been a delight i'm thank glad you. you enjoyed it barry uh, please tell the wonderful listeners who have listened to this bumper episode of final games where they can find you on the internet and what they should be checking out i believe you're uh, doing some wonderful streams that they should be watching well they should be
1: checking out the games that i was talking about that's true yeah. Like in, buy Nintendo got enough party. money. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, Spy, Spy Party, Spy Party, and Kentucky Route Zero. Yeah, I'm convinced. Nintendo and and the the, the rest, they're they're fine. They're fine. They're okay. Yeah. You gonna... already bought those games anyway. It's it's okay.
0: I'm gonna um, have to uh, play Spy Party with Barry. Barry's gonna be in Outer Island. I'm just gonna be back here on Earth.
1: <laughs> the latency is gonna be a killer. But <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, I am on Twitter. I am at razadup. R a z z a d o o p. I also have an Instagram I never use. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> I stream on Twitch, Twitch.tv/slash Barry is streaming, all one word, very easy to remember. I hope. Very wonderful um, name. Thank you. I'm a creative genius, if I do say so myself. And uh, I have a YouTube channel, which is just YouTube.com/slash Barry Kramer, just my name. We'll send you over there. Um, yeah. You can find me on those things.
0: You should definitely, if you if enjoyed listening to Barry today, and you you know the game Gram, so you know stuff like that. You know Barry's previous things, but you haven't watched How About This Game or any of other Barry's other sort of Barry-focused stuff. Please check it out. Barry, How About This Game is so good. So thank def- you. Definitely go watch it. It's wonderful. If you like stuff like Game Maker's Toolkit, like Mark Stuff or uh, jo- Joseph Anderson or any of those guys who do wonderful video essay-based stuff on video games definitely check out Barry's How About This Game as well if you haven't already. Um, But thank you so much to Barry for appearing on the show. And thank you so much for you guys to listening to Final Games today and for waiting patiently for The Return. I hope you've enjoyed this huge bumper episode for The Return. As always, you can check out Final Games on Twitter, at Final Games Show. You can also check out it on SoundCloud, iTunes. Stitcher, Acast, and all those other wonderful places that it automatically gets RSS feeded to. If you're on iTunes, please rate and review the show. It would be very, very helpful. And if you are interested in me and the stuff I've been talking about today, I usually tweet about video games, Japan, and making video games. You can go to at Liam Edward, Liam BME on Twitter. That's it, I think. Yeah, at Liam BME, of course. And also, I run a weekly podcast with Mr. Super Bunny Hop and Matt Visual called the Dad and Sons Podcast. If you like uh, listening to video game news or us talk about not brand new video games, we tend up talking about video games from 10 years ago when we really should be talking about brand new video games instead. Uh, <laughs> please check that out as well on iTunes, Dad and Sons Podcast. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of Final Games. Huge thank you to Barry for taking the time to do this. And My pleasure. You... Oh, thank you, Barry. And
2: I hope to see you again next time. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.